Welcome to the Six of Swords podcast, a podcast about art, spirituality, and healing. Today we are joined by Brother Eric Arneson, a Freemason out of Oregon, United States. And we're going to talk about memory palaces, Kabbalah, tarot, gravity falls, Bela Fleck, geomancy, lots and lots and lots of books, Ahura Mazda, and Platonic Invisibles. We're also going to touch on Masonic Learning, the Animating Principles, and NATO placements in our charts. This is a really fun episode. Eric and I have some, well, great alchemical bromance going on, so to speak. So, I'm not going to really need to say much more than that. This episode speaks for itself. It's a really good one. Uh, I'm really happy to have it as an entry in the Six of Swords podcast family. <laughs> so without any further ado, or doing a, uh, or uh, dooby-doo-doo-doo-doo, we're going to get going right now, so enjoy. All right. All right. I didn't exactly count. You know, you find when you start to count during those things, you're not really in the moment anymore. Yeah. So, why so I have a trick for that. Oh, yeah? Go ahead. Start well, I mean, that's, that's what like prayer beads are for, right? So a lot of times if I have a specific, um, so I, I, I use breaths and then I use usually like a, a chord with, with knots in it and I just move along there. And then when I get to the end of the chord, I've reached the end of the breathing or silence and um, I don't need to count. I just need to move my fingers. That's extremely useful. And mm -hmm. I, that's, that seems so fundamental that I've never, I've never experienced that before. I really, right off the bat, we're getting really good information. Here we go. Your listeners are already getting their money's worth. Well, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll see about that, sir. We'll see about that. Um, yes, I would say that I would, I would think that there's something also that's tactile that kind of like brings you more in it's, it's another sense for the ritual in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the case. I use a, I don't remember where I got it, but I have this like spool of super rough, probably hemp twine and it just has this like earthy feeling to it. So, so it always makes me feel like I'm some sort of monk in a, Oh, it's even rougher than that stuff. It's like, it's like hairy. <laughs> I've had, I've had hemp necklaces. I, I I'm yeah. familiar with that. It's, it has got that flaxen kind of like, strange like this doesn't feel like it should be solid sometimes feel to it yeah i, I always sort of imagine like um you know uh, a monk in a in a cave out in the desert wearing like the the crappiest roughest like camel hair well not camel hair but some kind of hair shirt or like a rough jute sack shirt or something <laughs> sackcloth and ashes right yep yep totally but instead all i've got is a string <laughs> instead all eric wears is a string <laughs> don't don't put that in your memory so speaking of memories now that i've i've done that <laughs> uh -huh. i uh god god help us all i would say you just released a podcast yourself didn't you a first one of a certain oh yeah for on my uh, on my patreon account yeah tell us about yeah. that please well it's uh i mean the idea is that I don't know how often I'm going to be releasing these. Hope I'm aiming for once a month and I've already missed that mark, but um, uh, it's just a podcast about using the art of memory to, um, to learn the tarot and to memorize the tarot. Um, 
particularly because I feel like I don't talk to people about learning tarot very often, but the ones who I do talk to always seem really daunted by the fact that there's so much stuff to memorize. And there is, you know, you've got 78 cards and they all have complicated meanings. And when you take them one at a time or when you take them individually, it, it can be, uh, in fact, I'd say it's probably impossible to really, get a good handle on tarot if you're tackling each individual like you have to look at them in terms of a story or in terms of their relationship to each other um could i could i say have so you, um oh, go ahead a, no 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 ask ask away the idea is this well uh it's it's really i want to get the information from you it's it's your spotlight uh-huh. uh, i'm gonna in, i'm gonna add this uh miguel connor um just released on aeon bite uh, about three episodes ago, the 21 uh-huh. Faces of God. Did you happen to listen to that? Oh, I interviewed that guy too. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, what was his name? Uh, uh, Robert uh, Bonomo. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. Was, it was a fascinating conversation. I, I really enjoyed talking to him and we got a lot of, uh, we talked about a lot of, we got really into tarot stuff. It was pretty cool. That's then, why I bring him up. Yes. Yeah. His uh, documentary is really nice too. Um, and I would say that like, I haven't really tackled uh, the major arcana yet. I'm sort of starting with the minor arcana um, primarily because uh, the major arcana gets so much attention. And especially if you, if you listen to podcasts about tarot, you can go to, uh, you know, like uh, fortune's wheelhouse, which is this great, great podcast where they go super in depth into every single tarot card. And they have like an episode per card. I'll add them in the show notes. Uh, yeah, they're pretty cool. Uh, and there's a, there's a bunch of other tarot podcasts. I don't I don't always I don't really listen to them very much. I, I feel like there's a there's a trap in tarot. You know, tarot there's a trap in tarot that you can get you can get too sucked into um, like that weird web of correspondences that get assigned to him, you know. Um, but that's anything, isn't it? That's going down a sinkhole, basically. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's it's particularly gnarly in tarot simply because nobody agrees. Oh, you know, interesting. The, for instance, like the Kabbalistic associations with tarot, while I like them for some things, you know, they're really new. Would you get an example of uh, one that put, uh, sticks out to you the most that you tend to think of, like uh, for one? Uh, Please. Well, I mean, there, I'd say that probably the easiest one is the, um, you know, in the minor arcana, ace through ten correspond to the ten sephirot. So, like, you know, the aces are keter and the tens are malchut, and in between they all sort of match up. And um, that would uh, that would be uh, that six with the uh, why six is so beautiful and wonderful in the neutral point there. Because uh, it's corresponding dead. with the sun. Yeah, with Tifereth. Yeah. Tifereth, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is what I believe that they named uh, Tifa after in Final Fantasy VII, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I mean, they have a character <laughs> called Sephiroth. Oh, you know what? I think I remember that. I, I've no, I, I uh, don't really play video games very much, so I'm pretty oh, ignorant about that kind of stuff. We, we won't judge you here on the Six of Swords podcast. It's okay if you want to judge me. I'm cool with no, that. No, no, no. There's, there's several armed guards that I'm shooing away right now. They're... <laughs> <laughs> we we fended off the we fended off the defense squad. Yeah. Um, the idea, the Tarot Defense League. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 um, that's a that's a very good point with the with the correspondence to the Kabbalistic. And I mean, you see that a lot more 
on uh, the two biggest decks we know are the the uh, the Pamela Coleman Smith um a Edgar Arthur Edgar Waite deck and mm-hmm. of course Crowley uh, with Lady Frida Harris uh, yeah both deck um, right. just uh off the top of the off the top of those two um the the correspondences are much more uh, a, a a part and parcel of the Thoth deck. And I think that's what gives. Um, I don't totally agree with that. Well, I feel. I'll so let you, I, please go, go, go on. Go. It could be that um, that in the Thoth deck they worked hard to make the correspondences more obvious, but uh, but when Waite designed his deck, he totally um, you know was coming from a Golden Dawn background, and the correspondences are all in there. Oh, see, this is why we do this show, so I'm learning here. Give yeah. me some examples of how the um, the the Smith Weight deck is more of a Kabbalistic correspondence than the Frida Harris uh, Crowley deck. Please. Oh, I really, I really don't know if I can. I I don't use the Thoth deck. Oh, okay. I well, never really use it. How about just with the 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 Pema Coleman Smith uh, Weight deck then? How about just um, that? Well, so one of the things about that deck is they, they almost never just sort of come out and say it, right? Uh, the correspondences, I don't know if they were considered secret or what the deal was. Um, and I know that Waite himself wasn't a super big fan of like the Hebrew correspond- the Hebrew letter correspondences in the Major Arcana or anything like that. But you I can didn't see, know that. Yeah, you, but you can see like Hebrew letters hidden in some of the artwork, probably yes. the most obvious being the little... Uh, Yodes falling out of the sun, or the the yodes on the tarot card, or on the tower card and stuff. Yes, um, the tower. All all of those, all those um, inseminating yodes out of the tower. Yeah. Card, the <laughs> excuse me, the uh, the the twenty sixteen Donald Trump tower card. Yes. <laughs> well, no no need for bitter reactions. The idea is that he did correspond in twenty sixteen. The sixteen, he won the you know the presidency, and he's known for the Trump towers. Ugh. that kind of stuff there still gonna have bitter reactions oh uh, let's try to be in the middle we'll, we'll walk that narrow razor's middle path <laughs> and you can see that i will yeah. safely ferry us across any undesirable or um what's any um deplorable metaphors right <laughs> uh yeah so but i mean um so in regards to like the the memory stuff with the with the tarot um, I came across a, uh, God, what's the name of the guy? The guy who did the alchemical tarot, Robert Place, Robert Place. So Robert Place and whoever was helping him with the alchemical tarot, they wrote this, they wrote this great piece in, um, in the book that came with the first edition of the alchemical tarot about, uh, sort of mapping out the story of the minor arcana and using that. I created a memory table and I didn't realize exactly what I was doing at the time. I don't think. And it wasn't until later on when I um, read Giordano Bruno's um, 30 seals. Thank you for bringing that up. That's absolutely uh, something that we're going to touch on. Keep going, please. Yeah. uh, That I, that I realized that, Oh crap. You know, this is something that Bruno had already thought up ages ago. Yeah. Isn't it funny how that happens? Yeah. (laughs) And you were utilizing the ninth, if I'm correct. The ninth seal yes oh i don't know i don't remember the number but it's called the table okay so it might be the ninth i could look in the book um so uh so yeah i just used the i just used the the table to uh to create a correspondence chart for the minor arcana um so 
and that's actually to me that ended up being that ends up being the easiest part of the tarot for me like the minor arcana ace through ten in the four suits um the way that they interact with each other like once you have that map once you have that map plotted out for yourself you can pick up any deck that's based off of the you know the marseille pips you know sort of system yeah totally and you're always just set you just pick up a deck and you go in fact, I wish I had a tarot deck sitting right here. I cleaned a little bit, so I don't have a tarot deck sitting next to me. It's, uh, I guess they aren't that far away. <laughs> well, we can use our imaginations. No, we no, can. No, no irony. Mm-hmm. So um, if you'd like to, yeah, please continue. Yeah, so my next step, and so the, so uh, basically I was going to release one of these a month, and I didn't get around to it last month primarily because, like, Real life got in the way, and I just ended up having too much work. Uh, and also, it was a daunting task, which is the sixteen face cards. Um, yeah, the which, court cards. Yeah, and I have such a tough time with those cards. Yeah, I think that's the hardest for everybody, to be honest. Yeah, those are, the, those are more based on the whole Myers Briggs ENFP kind of thing, and also the correspondences I, I of. I hadn't really thought of them as a if as a Myers Briggs sort of well, thing. Well, let me—if you don't mind—let me uh, finish the, the thought for a second. Just um, there's there's an argument to be made that they are like there's 16 of them and there's 16 iterations of the. But mm-hmm. you know, like Stephen Crowder had uh, convinced me that astrology isn't just Myers Briggs or uh, Myers Briggs isn't just astrology for LinkedIn. I think that's what he said. It's yeah, funny actually that. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's so spot on in a way. But um, mm-hmm. moving moving to the idea that um, the court cards also represent, you know, the phases of um, levels of manifestation and solidity. Um, so you have uh, Etzaluth and Bria and, you know, okay. all the four different levels of that, which just to finish the idea, for someone who isn't quite familiar with that, you would say, okay, there's the idea of resting. That's the highest, least uh, embodied, like humans originally were more ethereal creatures. Um, I don't know where you stand on that, but we can come back to that. But then you have the idea of a bed. It's a place to sleep. And then you actually have a bed with the knobs and everything like that. That's level three. And then level four, the most solid is, of course, sleeping in the bed itself. The act of really, real, like you said, real life sleeping. Well, real life, mm-hmm. but then sleeping. So that's where the court cards come in from the king, queen, uh, depending on what deck it is. You know, you'll have your knights and then your pages. Mm-hmm. But then each of those cards correspond then, you know, in declining order in each or however you'll put it. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've thought about them that way. And how do you approach the court cards? Well, that's one of those things that I have outlined and not necessarily put totally into words yet. But, uh, but yeah, it's sort of along those lines. I, I instead of focusing totally on the um, on the Kabbalistic associations, you know, like you, you were saying, where that you've got the four worlds, I use uh, the elemental attributions, um, and I feel like it's probably more common for people to to identify with that. And a lot of times, you know, people absolutely. I use that too. It's just not many yeah. people think about the four levels of manifestation. And I think that's a really cool one. Mm-hmm. That's also part of it. That's why it's, it's not, it's not, it's not either or it's both. And yeah. Yeah. Well, because the, because the classic elements are associated with the four levels of manifestation. And but, of course you and I both use swords for air, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just, just uh, come on people who are get, get your, it's not wands are not air. The end. <laughs> do you have well, anything to say on that 
Uh, I would say that it depends on the deck. I mean, some decks might be designed that way. You know, it's 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 totally there up to are the definitely decks. Like I've seen a Russian deck that Uncle Birch uses. But anyways, it's it's obviously not a sticking point. It's it's more of a trivial. But you know, it's it's one of those things where you can definitely see people coming down on the side. Um. Yeah, and I would say that it's kind of it, it's foolish to take sides in that sort of thing. A tarot deck. Uh, even the even the association of the elements or the Kabbalistic stuff of the tarot deck, it's so new. Like we don't, you know, people people <laughs> seem to think that the consensus has been set in stone for ages, but it's like less than a century. It's quite so, true. Quite so true. I would say uh, if you have a tarot deck where the wands represent water, go for it. You know, I mean, you know, even if just the the elemental correspondences are important. So. Whatever I would like to use. push back a little against the idea of it being foolish. I think that a set standard, a uh, universalized kind of language is especially useful because these things are so not known yet. It can be very confusing for people to get into it. Besides, wands are... Wands yeah. Are, they burn. Swords slice through the air. It's cutting. Cutting remarks. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you can, you can come up with arguments either way, but you have to remember <laughs> that the, the, the map is not the terrain. Right, so as long oh, as you have a consistency with your symbol set, then you're you're probably doing well. But um, but yeah, so but the but the elemental correspondences are are what are important in that in the uh, the four by four grid, like the sixteen elements or the sixteen ugh, cells, the sixteen cells. So you have the kings being the highest and representing fire, and the pages or princesses being the lowest and representing earth, and um, and then once you understand sort of like the the guts of each of the elements, then you can, uh, then you can sort of mix them and match them, and realize that inside each element you still have like levels of manifestation or levels of reality. So you know, for instance, the the king of um, the king of wands. I always sort of look at the kind of like first step out of the divine gate in the minor arcana. You know, everything in the minor arcana descends out of the king of wands. He's he's fire of fire. He's the 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 ultimate like original spark of any sort of concept or idea cascading down into the world um and then the princess of pentacles the page of pentacles being earth of earth is the most manifest and most solid of things kind of at the bottom of the minor arcana right she's like the if if we were using a hell to heaven scale she'd be the hell scale basically I would, yeah, I mean, I suppose that would be one way of putting it. I would say that she is more the uh, the most, I would say most manifest. I don't know that hell is necessarily the most manifest of things. It's still an idea, an idea, an idea realm sort of a place. Uh, it's interesting you say that. A lot of people tend to think like that 10 of swords feeling or that complete or even down to nine, how much mm-hmm. manifest that is. And they say that hell is a state of mind or a state of being. And that's something I want to get into in, in a bit down the line here today. Okay. But basically, um, it, it's, just, it's, it's more of just an idea. I'm not, I'm not like nailing things down. Like I would say, like I would nail down saying that it's interesting you use kings as fire. Whereas, and this is coming down to that, like you can see it different ways. But for my system and how I understand it, the kings would be mm-hmm. air. And uh, excuse, yes, kings are air. And so then- okay. 
a um and the 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 princes level three is fire for me for my system as i understand it queens are water and princesses are earth so it seems like we just invert the fire and the air and how we do it it seems uh possibly i just put them in i just put them in order right princesses Princes, queens, kings. Yeah, it's, it's, but see, to me, the order would be the fire and then the air at the top. That's, that's the order, how I would see it. But we, this, again, comes down and is interesting because different people have different ways of doing it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm just using the, the, like, the traditional Kabbalistic association with the elements. Which is strange because the way I learned it through um, Gareth Knight, it was, it was the way I'm speaking of with air, which he says is the traditional Kabbalistic way, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> oh, you don't have to. No, I think the whole point is that we have different, there are different systems and people would do well to remember that, especially people learning this. And I'm sure that for the occultists or magicians or uh, other brethren listening to this, they probably have a preferred system themselves. And it's important to be able to just kind of like bridge those gaps, I think, uh, when mm-hmm. we're coming to the conclusions and, you know, just put down at the little asterisk at the bottom, your experience, your mileage may vary, perhaps. But yeah, yeah, it could be. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you were just arguing a little bit ago that we need to come down pretty hard on a side. I do. I do come down on a side. Well, that's, I that's, think you're wrong. <laughs> that's, but you're coming down on the side by saying that I'm wrong. Well, sure. Well, I know I was, that was a joke. I, I honestly, you know, like I said, if you've got a consistent symbol set and it works for you um, and you're working with tarot, you're probably doing just fine. It's such a, it's such a new addition to the occult milieu. Uh, and it comes so far, it, you know, I mean, tarot, at least the way that it's, it's practiced by most people, it kind of springs right out of the intellectual school of, of the occult, yeah. in which case the, in which case correspondences tend to, sort of lose all metaphysical meaning or mystical meaning in that sense. Like, you know, what do you feel like it means? Uh, so that's the thing. isn't, isn't orientation and direction. So essential though, in the occult and having your ability to be orientated, you know, knowing which is North and South and up and down that um, can't be spun around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, possibly. So, I mean, I mean, uh, and I, 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 I appreciate the subtle jokes, but um, I, I'm, I guess, like, to try to come to a to an idea, like, there's no need to resolve this um, right now. It's just simply, I I would say, you know, and we're, let's just blow past this because there's a lot more to talk about than just mm-hmm. like, because like, <laughs> I can tell listening to this, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. But the idea is, um, you know, for me again, like, and this is the Six of Swords podcast, and for me, the swords and the whole thing is built around that correspondence, right? So there's a whole other thing going on there that I didn't even think about till just now. But basically, um, when we look at these, when you are orientated in the world, you Mm -hmm. are able to know which is, you know, you're able to interpret. That's not to say you're not Taoist or you don't have to, you know, you can't go with the flow because ultimately Mm -hmm. that's the dissolution of all of those things. But then again, that's an entirely different situation being in the flow in the now of the Tao. It's almost like the fool card versus the magician who knows this is this, this has a name. It's almost like a, Let's spin off into this. You talk about Princess Bubblegum, mm-hmm. the recent post you made about, and what did you say about her? I don't know. What, Scientist, what? right? You mentioned that she was a particular type of person. Uh, dude, I don't know. What, what did I say? This was a while ago. No, I, okay. Well, it was something were, I tweeted, I think. 
You made a really interesting point about Princess Bubblegum being a scientifically minded person and how she's all cold and has no warmth or emotion to her, how she's very heavy rationality. Oh, yeah, I probably did. What was the exact quote? Do you have the quote? Not at all. No, I just oh. thought, you, I thought it's you, you, the way you were talking about it made it sound like you had put a lot of thought into it. Well, honestly, a lot of times when I'm watching uh, Adventure Time, those thoughts sort of come to me and I'm like, oh, she totally said something that made me think blah, 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 blah. And then I kind of put it out of my mind because, you know, there's a lot of stuff to think about out there. <laughs> that's why it's so fascinating. Um, because every time I see her, I think about your description. Like, oh, that's funny. Well, I mean, so Princess Bill, so the Adventure Time world is really fascinating because there's this odd mix of magic well and princess bubblegum's view on it is that there is no magic that it's all just science tricks you know and uh, i think there was a there was an episode that sort of centered around this fact that she's like going to wizard town no that's what it was this episode where she goes to wizard city with finn and jake to get some ingredient to fix some problem that they're having and um and she's totally she's totally skeptical about all of the magic stuff and going in she's just like Every time some sort of magical effect happens, she's like, oh, that's a blah blobbity blah field Like, total Star Trek pseudoscience sort of crap, right? Just comes spewing out of her mouth. It's all, um, like, molecular and stuff, like, and she's explaining the chemical or something like that, yeah? Yeah, it, or it's, like, advanced computer technology, or it's all these sorts of things. Um, and it's something that, like, it it introduces this interesting level of of, of doubt into the Adventure Time universe um, because later on, you also get the character Betty. I'm doing... only I'm only on season five, so actually, I'm going to stop you right here. I should have said okay. something a minute ago. All right, spoiler no free no from now on. No more. But, spoiler free. No more. Uh, well, yeah, it's nothing. Nothing gets my ire like someone who spoils something in a movie. That's, all right, that's, that's guillotine worthy. But yo, please, um, without well, even, without any uh, past even season in five, the, <laughs> even in the in the Wizard City episode, and I have no idea which season that is. So hopefully, uh, we, this we've already spoiler. started talking about it. So you got to pass okay. on this one episode because we're right. wizards. So even in the even in the Wizard City episode, uh, you don't get the feeling that it was ever really resolved whether okay. whether she is right about there being no magic or whether there are things that she's just like stretching too hard to understand. But what you do get is this like feeling that technology has become so friggin' advanced. Like Finn, the main character that you're identifying with through the show, he's kind of an idiot. He's got no clue what's going on most of the time. He's kind so, of a happy fool, but he's a hero. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so I guess what I probably said about Princess Bubblegum was that she is um, sort of like the stand-in for the 20th century materialist in the in Adventure Time. I don't think those are the words I used, but that, that's what I'm saying now. Well, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we could cover that because it's completely, you know, we're, we're dancing around the Zodiac, the Tarot right now. We're talking about uh -huh. art of memory and you're, you're utilizing a very useful archetype or you're revealing something hidden in that character. And I appreciate that. And it does back. And I think that none of us would uh, be, it, it, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Arthur C. Clarke is famous for saying the whole, any sufficiently developed, you know, paraphraser, but any sufficiently developed technology is indistinguishable from magic. I think that's exactly what the quote was. I don't think that was a paraphrase. Oh, that's a para paraphrase. Cool. Good job. <laughs> is, there a, is there a paraphrase for the PowerPoint? Okay, this is getting out of control. Get the, someone get the banana guards. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really so let's circle back around to the tarot again. Okay. You killed it. I think you have a really 
without without um you know without over demonstrating this, would you please just run us through your pip card from the ace elementals and then through the 10 with your story of the eggs and uh, the mirror of two and three and stuff? Would you please? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you could do it really quickly. It's, it's, it's yeah, a pretty elementary um, story. No pun yeah, intended. I mean, it's basically uh, uh, the story I use is actually something that I got out of the Sefri Yetzera. Okay. Kind of. Or part of it, at least. At least the beginning. Because... Um, it turns out that like conceptually stuff like aces and twos and threes um, corresponding to the supernal triad of the tree of life, the, you know, Keter, uh, Chochma, and uh, Bina. It's not, it's not easy to wrap your head around. So a lot of times they're referred to or they're talked about in this, in this sort of metaphor of like, you know, before you have number, how do you count one? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, so the concept is like the ace card being the most abstract of a concept, like before a, a thing has solidified at all, uh, is, is the ace. It's the idea. It's the beginning, the genesis. And it's not until you have the number two um, that you have anything with which to compare the number one. Right. So it, until you have two of something, it doesn't matter if you have one of something or not, because you don't have the concept of otherness. Or there is no witness or perceiver to be perceived. Yeah. Yes. And then the act of perception itself uh, uh, spawns the number three. And then um, after that, we get to a point that's solid, right? A resting point. After that, four. you get to a resting point in number four, where things solidify and stop moving. Um but since the creative energy of the ace hasn't finished, you have to continue moving. So you, you break through into number five where you have motion. Um, six, I don't remember how I tied them t together totally by, by the time you get to six, but six turns into love, which turns into obstacles, which turns into overcoming obstacles, which turns into building a resolution, which turns finally into number 10 into the resolution of the it's interesting how you compare yeah. seven to two as well yeah i should probably have my notes <laughs> it's all good it's uh <laughs> this is uh, like i i mean for different people having different podcasts you know i yeah i prefer to just get into the intimate uh this is about you know six of swords is going to feature people who are people you're not mm -hmm. selling a book here i'm not i didn't just release this that the other thing a lot of people i i think you know that's a there's a place for that and mm -hmm continue to be a place for that but this is more of a like who is eric you know what's it like just you know and it, it, it's it's still focused though it's not like a three-hour podcast like whoa whoa we have solid content mm -hmm. right now well um, yeah i mean i guess the thing is it's it's early on sundays i don't i don't often do a lot of thinking on sunday mornings i watch a lot of cartoons <laughs> that is that is a good thing to do that is that is actually i'm pretty sure a commandment in a perfect world it's one of the top commandments Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like uh, the commandment to watch cartoons on Sunday mornings is sort of borne out in the fact that you can like pick your favorite cartoon and stream it at any time on like your favorite video service or something frequently without commercials. <laughs> Every day is Sunday morning these days. Uh, that doesn't, that sounds, that sounds delightful. I wish that was the case. Oh my God. I, love I wish that were the case. Well, yeah. right on as a, as a recovering English major, I appreciate the proper grammar. Um, and I will say that, uh, you know, basically, um, 
Oy, that just took me in a couple of different directions. I'm thinking about how for if you're listening to No Agenda podcast every day is Thursday, <laughs> but that aside, oh. that aside, um, yeah, I I actually have a couple of questions that we're gonna pepper in as we go throughout this, and I'm gonna I've decided right now I'm going to mm-hmm, we're gonna mm-hmm. step and step left into another room now, uh, this working memory palace of this show. Okay, and we're gonna ask you a random question. Can you pick a number one through six, please, quickly? Eight. All right, so we're gonna go with we're gonna go we're gonna go with eight, which has five letters, and so Eric picked a five because a five All looks right, like sounds eight. good, and a five, five looks right. a five looks like a three, and when you make the three and the five get all smoochy smooch, you get the eight. Yep, fit those numbers together. All right, do you want to try again? Actually, choosing one through six. How about five? All right, this is good. I like this. I feel like someone suggested that one to you. <laughs> What's the strangest concept that you can think of? You pick the number, dude, not me. The strangest concept that I can think of, you know, the, probably the strangest concept that I can think of is one of those strange concepts that I struggle with all the time because I know that it's right. Or I feel that it's right. Uh, and it's so impossible to, I never feel like when I communicate it to other people that they, that they understand what I'm saying, which means that it's a strange concept in that words don't do a good job at it. I don't think you're going to find it strange. I think it's something that you've already figured out or that you've already heard before, but it is the, it is that ideas are more real than reality. I think it's bizarre. I think it uh, flies in the face of a, everything that our physical that we have to deal with every day in meat space, you know, I mean, um, but yeah, I think that's probably the strangest concept I can think of right now, like off the cuff. There are a lot of strange concepts out there. There are a lot of strange concepts that I come across where I'm like, I hopefully will have time to think about this later, but I don't have time right now. We can, we can, we have the time right now. Let's, let's, uh, I think that it's a, uh, I think for a lot of people who are into this, um, into the higher levels of awareness, especially people with strong ninth houses, uh-huh. uh, I believe that what you're asking is kind of like a part and parcel because again, you know, the Maya illusion, if we're talking about life as manifestation, the idea being prim- primary, you know, or even animistically speaking, like whatever the force is that deity represents, if you will, you know, the all mm-hmm. active creation, you know, a, a generative principle, even in some ways. Um, yes, I, I definitely think that the idea of, you know, again, you get philosophers talking about the idealist versus this, that, the other thing. And mm-hmm. I do get on board with life is but a dream in some senses. But again, yes, it is extremely difficult from manifest level to speak of unmanifest level. Hence, the Tao mm-hmm. that can be spake is never the true Tao. Yeah. And yeah. that's why symbols are so useful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like the corollary being that like we speak in symbols, our language is made of symbols. Uh, probably everything that we see around us is a symbol, no matter how complex of some, you know, pattern of photons that our eyeball is turning into something that our brain can digest. Photons uh, or possibly waves. If particles aren't real, then it's all waves, but I don't know. Perhaps well, I mean, that's also a funny thing. Photons themselves or, or, uh, you know, like when you get down to um, particle physics, like the, particle wave duality of, of a photon is bizarre because yeah. it seems to indicate that 
the observer affects the observed. Yes, no, you're 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 quite on no. board. I think that uh, I think a particle is a particle when observed because it freezes. It has something to do with the that. No, no that's not it. That's not it. It's even weirder. If you're okay, looking well, at a photon and expecting on. it to be a wave, it acts like a wave. If you're looking at a photon and expecting it to be a particle, it acts like a particle. No, see, I'm, I'm familiar with that, but what I'm saying is different. I'm saying, uh, I don't think I'm incorrect, actually. I would argue against that. Um, what happens when you're in the act of perceiving? And again, these words particle and wave are already faulty. Um. Well, I guess when you're talking about observing a photon, you, uh, the, the, the act of perception is frequently passive in that you have to wait for the photon to hit something. Um, but uh, like on the macro level, like where, where we live and exist and have our consciousnesses, like the act of perceiving, um, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 we still... Vision still depends on the dual nature of a of a photon in order to work. These these again are terms now. I mean, without without throwing the baby, without throwing the photon, with the without throwing the photon out with the with the wave bathwater. Uh -huh. um, I would say that, that I had to get that out. You knew what I was. You knew I was going to say there. It's good though. Without throwing that all aside, I mean, like, are these truly useful ways to speak of things? You know these um these 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 you know corpuscles if you will right uh huh these these particles I've I I gotta say that this is not obviously where I'm most learned in and I'm always willing to to get deeper into it I've heard recently enough that a lot of people are saying where <laughs> this is such a, that's such a crap argument a lot of people anyways I'm positing that perhaps there is no such real thing as a particle ever and that it is all waves until we act upon it with something to do with the consciousness perceiving the God self aware. And then I'm not even talking about shapes or particles, well, or waves, but that I would say activates something. Ponder this, Nate, then we would not be able to speak to each other uh, with video uh, 1500 miles away without, um, without the, the particular nature of photons. Because the technology we're using right now, uh, like I don't know how the connection is into your house, but like I've got an electromagnetic signal that goes out of my house through some hub somewhere that connects to uh, a fiber trunk that is carrying information. Sure. Use it. So, and, and you know, like fibers work because of the way photons work. You know, they're, they're glass or silicates or plastic fibers that can carry photons through them because I of... I understand the principle yeah. well enough. I think a lot of people are, again, I say a lot. I've seen some people saying that perhaps that's a mis, a fundamental, even though it works, people are uh -huh. misunderstanding it. Absolutely. Yes, I totally agree with that. I, I know that I, I, I know that I fundamentally misunderstand it. You know, I studied physics in. Uh, that was your, no, let's get into that. That was your, that's where you come up in, right? That's your undergrad? Yeah, I never finished, <laughs> but yeah, I studied I studied physics for for a few years in college, and um, and it's been fascinating, like going back to it because that was you know twenty some years ago. Who and, uh, were you studying back then? Like, what are some of the authors you recall coming up um, that influenced your understanding of this? Well, honestly, we didn't really have specific authors. Uh, it was mostly classes that covered like concepts or subjects. Um, 
But so there were no like luminaries in the field that were to be like, oh, this guy is really turning me on to this. There was not that. Well, I mean, I guess yes, but it's it's all going to be names that you've heard before, you know. So, uh, you know, Schrodinger, Newton, Kepler. Like we study, you know. I mean, all of the all of the big sets of laws and equations have have famous names attached to them. Maxwell's demon, yeah. Well, I mean, Maxwell's equations, but I think that's a different Maxwell. Um, say Maxwell could be, um, but the hey, thing you're is, the like, science guy, Bill Nye, not me. I'm Neil <laughs> yeah. deGrasse. I'm an actor, Tyson over here. Um, but the thing is, like you, you never really get into the personalities behind the equations, right? And that's something that, uh, in retrospect, I, I feel like if if I had had like a history of physics class where we got into the physics but also like explored the people behind the physics i probably would have finished my degree <laughs> that's what this show is you're the people behind the concept that's literally what this show is yeah well yeah i mean with the occult stuff it's almost required that you learn about the people behind the concept because the personalities influence what they think so much and it, the personalities uh change the way you you know, it basically influences the philosophy that drives the magic, right? Yeah, it's part and parcel of the person's prism. We're all an mm -hmm. individual human experiencing these things. So, yeah, it's it's almost uh, – unless you're super advanced in that egolessness, which, hey, that can happen. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. Bodhisattvas and on and up, and I, I'm nowhere near there. But mm -hmm. the idea is that these people like, you know, Alistair uh, – you know, if you treat him uh, foully, you'll call him Crowley. If you treat him holy, you call him Crowley. So Crowley was, uh, you know, uh, he was definitely, he had no limits, really. You know, he was he was really a kind of, if it works, it goes kind of guy. And I, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I think, um, you know, I've been, I've been, Carly, uh, Carly stuff has been coming up a lot in in my conversations lately. Um, I've never been a really big fan of Crowley's. Like, I haven't really studied a lot of his stuff. Uh, Same, to be honest. I yeah, I, yeah. I think I've only read like one of his books, and I've read like you know some of the like the Lieber pamphlet style yep. stuff yep. that's out there. Um, and I've never really been a huge fan of his, but at the same time, like he, if you, you know, if in a historical context, he sort of set off against the golden dawn, right? So you have like these two schools of the golden dawn and Crowley. And, um, I think Mathers got destroyed at the end of that, didn't he? Uh, or was that Westcott? One of them had it bad. Uh, it was Wim Westcott and, Ma um, McGregor Mathers, who were really the two big shots, uh, who started that. Just well, was, Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not an expert on that particular story, but yeah, like the Golden Dawn fell apart and splintered into tons of different little things. Um, the OTO didn't necessarily fare a whole lot better, but it survived a little more stronger, at least more publicly. And like the Golden Dawn is out there, but again, you still have, from what I can tell anyhow, tons of different splinter factions and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the Caliphate I, and stuff. Oh, that was OTO, sorry. Yeah. I'm getting, yeah, yeah, I'm, getting yeah. my, I'm getting my splinter cells crossed. <laughs> um, oh, and then there's the combinations, like the open source order of the Golden Dawn out of the Bay Area, which is a Thelemite Golden Dawn um, group. Oh, yeah, of course that would, you know, because, you know, uh, in Masonry we have, you know, like as you proved, there's different groups uh, within Masonry as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so 
even if I'm off screen, would you talk about talk for a minute about um your like we're gonna we're going all around here, but well, uh, Crowley, huh? You want you want me to keep talking about Crowley? I didn't uh, finish that well, thought. Yes, please do. Okay, uh, so, I'm gonna be off camera, but I'll I'll be right here. Okay, so uh, so in going through like Crowley's been coming up a little bit more, but primarily primarily because I've been getting into the Greek magical papyri. And Crowley has uh, Liber Samach, which is about the uh, Stele of Jew, um, otherwise known as the headless rite or the bornless rite or the headless ritual. You know, it's the, the one with all the barbarous names. And the uh, I think what happened is Crowley was using it to contact his holy guardian angel or something of that nature. But the fact that he kind of went off script, off Golden Dawn script and explored this new area of magic that was just sort of just beginning to come to light again um, gave me a little bit more respect for him. And uh, especially in the, especially as I myself started to become kind of disillusioned with golden Dawn style magic. So I don't necessarily think that this means I'm going to look harder at Crowley's stuff, but I do think that one of the things, one of the lessons to take away from that is that just because some group has come along and said like, this is the way it all is, doesn't mean that's that that that's the way it all is and and in magic there's just as much of a danger of like falling into a dogma as there is in religion um so the exploratory nature of of magic and the occult i think is something that we need to remember to embrace and uh you know and and, and the fact that like you know even Crowley himself said that it was like the uh the method of science with the aim of religion um it's important to remember that there's a there's an experimental nature to magic that there are definitely people going before you who are who are probably saying things like this works this works this works it works for them it might not always work for everybody in the same way isn't that kind of a, a fundamental principle in a sense of in, in a broad sense of chaos magic it is and um and that always just sort of brings me back to something that one of my teachers told me when I was first digging into like Renaissance magic. Would you share your teacher's name with us? Could you do that? John Michael Greer. Oh, cool. Okay, please yeah. continue. So he um, he was my neighbor. Oh, you guys actually like lived near each other or next to each other? Yeah, yeah. We had the sa- we were in the same Masonic lodge. There's no uh, no. How, uh, how many more times in our life, my brother, are we going to say there are no con- there are no what is it, coincidences? I mean, uh, what a small world. Yeah. <laughs> how biz- how magical this place. Okay, wow, that's very neat. Um, and yeah. I'm very. Uh, I will be having him on this show if he's amenable. I'm druidry or whatever goes along with loving trees and plants and protecting the environment. That's right in my heart. That's my Tifereth. That's one of my Tifereths, you know? Oh, yeah. Mine too, I, for I sure. I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So so what he told me, yeah, uh, so please. this was when, um, this is still when I was sort of like working through Golden Dawn stuff. I was very new. Like he was exceptionally patient with me and I would like go over to his house and we would, he, he had, I'm sure he still does, uh, the most incredible library, like just the most amazing books. And oh so my God, we, I would love to see that. Yeah, for we sure. Would, we would just sort of like go through these books and he'd be like, well, here's how you do this stuff. And I would just be scribbling in my book, you know, trying to keep up with him. Yeah. But um, That's so cool. But we were cross-referencing Agrippa with the Regardi Black Book, you know, the big Golden Dawn Black Book. This is 
probably 2003, 2002, what, long I, time ago. I know that and, book. I, I have that on my show. Yeah. yeah, it was before it was before John Michael had put out his own Golden Dawn book that he did. Like a, okay. um, but uh, I just remember we were sort of going through it and talking about how to construct uh, planetary talismans and that sort of thing. And I was like, well, how do you like, I would ask these questions like, but there's, there's all this stuff missing. Like, how do you do this and this and this? And how do you do this and this and this? He's like, oh, well, you just have to make that stuff up yourself. And I'm like, what? How do you, what do you mean? There's no ritual for this? Like, there's no set ritual? And he looked at me, he goes, Eric, the more you read Agrippa, the more you're going to realize that at some point somebody made all this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like that a whole lot. He probably didn't use the word shit. He's not a. He doesn't. He doesn't really. Uh, oh use, yeah, uh, profanity very much. But um, it's a, it's, it's a but it was a, it was such a light in my head. I was just like, I, I realized those, that there was something to chaos. Yeah, I mean, like it's Pete Carroll's uh, saying, it works in uh, practice but not theory. Yeah, I guess the way I look at so I, I don't, I'm not. I'm not, I don't have like a huge amount of like Pete Carroll buy-in. You know, I, I have very much, I very much fight against the idea that all magic is, is psychological based stuff. You know, I do self-hypnosis and, and that sort of thing. But I do think that there are parts of it that are. I think there's self-hypnosis. It depends on which, you know, plane of reality it's working on or which sort of, uh, how it's sort of affecting you and how it's sort of affecting the world around you. And I'm not sure it's difficult to prove one way or the other. I have a, I have an example from a recent magical operation that I did. Okay, please. So, and tell us as much uh, about recently, that as comfortable. Okay. Okay. Hello? Yeah, I mean, it's... No. It's, um... Are you, I'm sorry. Are we skipping right now? Can you hear me? Jason Miller, sorcery guy. Eric, can you hold My on? My internet one connection is unstable. Says the internet. Right, right. The internet's kind of hopping around for a second. I will slowly, and you know me when I come back. What's that? Am I here? Yeah, I can hear Am you now. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay, All right. It looks like it. All right. Uh, sorry about that, folks. So I'll, uh, I'll either edit that out or you know add some elevator music during that part. You but, know what? Um, I think the the photons got angry. It could have been because I was calling them <laughs> waves, and they decided yeah. to like give us flip us the bird. Yeah, flip us um, the particle. Um, it, it could it could be, or or they were waving and saying we're actually waves. But yeah, it I could think be. Yeah, I'll see. That. Let me see if there's a way for me to um, turn down the quality of my video or That'd something. Be great. I don't know. I have no, I do not know how to use Zoom um, very well. I've definitely, you know what? I've definitely appreciate that. It's not a Google product for one thing, but um, mm -hmm. I, I, and I, I actually, I just canceled my Netflix, even though stranger things three is on the horizon. Uh, I'm uh -huh. definitely, you know, I mean, five seconds of looking at people, I'm not supporting a psycho company like that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's exactly how you train people to become. I mean, it's like late onset, uh, 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 emotional flatness without using any medical terms. It's just, it's a destructive anti-human policy. Uh, do, you, was, do, you agree? do you understand? Do you see what I mean? Nope. I missed something in there. Five seconds of looking at what people. 
in Netflix, the company, you're not uh-huh. allowed to make eye contact for more than five seconds. It's like a regimented, archonic five seconds. And if you look at anyone any longer, then you're going to be charged with harassment, basically, and kicked out of the company. Oh, I don't you, know. You I, hadn't heard about that policy? No, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Corporate America is a is a cesspool of rot and a wasteland for the soul. So, well, without but you without can't avoid it. Over it, isn't that a little more extreme than you've ever heard? Uh, I don't know. I would have to give it a little bit more thought. I can't give you a definite answer right uh, now. I honestly, I didn't read about it. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have any. It's really as simple as if. They have a new policy at their company. Netflix, the company, has a policy for the, all the workers there that they cannot make more than five seconds of eye contact or else it will be considered harassment. I think on the face of it, no pun intended, it, that is extremely anti-human. I'll tell you what I think. I think it's a way to get people to be disenchanted from one another. It's a way of segmenting people. It's a way of bringing um, more artificial, uh, just emotional flatness. It's, it's a way of killing the heart. Eh, could be. It's definitely what it is, and in IMHO, uh, my humble opinion, and that's why uh-huh. I canceled the Netflix. But anyways. All right. Well, let's get back to what I was about to talk about. On the Six of Swords podcast, we can do that. <laughs> we, we can do that on this podcast. But let's right. get back to that, please. Okay, so I was talking about um, – so this is an example of something where I feel like perhaps a magical operation might be partially psychological. I feel like there's probably a lot of magical operations that might have psychological elements, but it's dangerous to say that like all magic is psychological. But uh, so Jason Miller, who is the guy behind like the financial sorcery thing and the, what's his, what's his name? He goes by Inconubulumba. No, he's got a name. He's got a magic name on the internet. Jason Miller does? Yes, starts with an I. <laughs> All right, I, I may have seen in past. Bum Dump. Shit, I can't remember it. Sorry, well, Jason Miller. That's uh, got, got, okay. So moving <laughs> forward. So he has this ritual that he's that he's uh, put in a couple of his books uh, called the Jupiter Cash Box, which is a yes, which is a, a Jupiter Mercury talisman that is operative, right? That you put money into, you put your cash into. Um, and the way I sort of read it is it's like, you know, it's a box. I, I went through the whole process of making it, gathering ingredients. I, I put together a uh, consecration ritual that wasn't totally his. I instead used, like, stuff out of the Picatrix and things like that. I found, like, a good election for it. I made the, made the cash box. Uh, I put money into it any day of the week, but I can only take money out of it on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Is there a so particular of course, hour? Uh, no, I don't, I don't usually pick a particular hour on Thursdays. Um, I just make sure that every Thursday I do take some money out of it and spend it. Keep the currency flowing, keep the currency flowing, which is the idea of the cash box. Right. Um, and I was, uh, and you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to operate in a most, mostly cashless manner nowadays. You know, people just use their debit cards and ATM cards for pretty much everything. And, um, and there are big periods of time where I never, I like don't even really have cash in my life. Uh, even though that's something that I don't really enjoy. Like I much prefer spending cash to uh, using a card. It's easier to keep tabs on finances and things like that. Yes, it is. There is a, there is a, there is a spiritual side to that. Of course, the magnetics and the symbols and all of the, uh, the, uh, I, 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 symbology going into the dollar. I mean, it's a magical talisman. It's a charged object. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but uh, there are some but, spiritual people who will only have money, uh, women handle the money. And uh, I know in Judaism also, it's a, I've seen a fairly common practice with all of my Jewish friends and, you know, uh, the, the mother is often the head of the financial aspect of the household. The father will do a lot of working, but the mother will be behind the scenes taking care of the finances. And there's mm-hmm. something about that groundedness of the woman, I think, that helps diffuse that monetary energy because it's such a driving force. It could be that, or it could be even something more practical, such as like in in a in most of like nineteenth and twentieth century households, the man brought home the income, and the woman had you know the, the the housekeeping duties, and part of the housekeeping would have been the the financial aspect of it. Yeah, there's uh, there's part of that too. Yeah, um, but, there's no real set way, but I just found I think there's a principle out there that you can find with some, and let's not call them new age, but just more uh, some people who have a spiritual bend to them. Uh, they will uh-huh. talk about how men have a more that money impacts men more, the masculine um, form of the human, and mm-hmm. I just found that an interesting idea. And he wouldn't handle money; he would have his wife do it. Even today, even though they both bring an in income, it's still that's funny. I guess I hadn't heard that before, um, but idea. but with the cash box thing, like uh, when I went through the ritual and when I when I you know started using it, like a big part of me is like, oh, this is totally like a psychological trick or a thing to a thing to fool me into just putting more money into this box, right? Um, and I was thinking that for a while, and I was kind of like, this is so weird, like I almost felt a little foolish about doing it. But then yesterday where I had been thinking like, huh, I don't think I put any cash into the cash box this week. Uh, I went out to um, breakfast with a friend of mine and our, our checks got mixed up and uh, some item of his ended up put on my bill. And he's like, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll just give you some cash for that. And he gave me cash and I was like, Oh, I put the cash into the cash box and I was like, was that coincidence or psychic phenomenon? Yeah, did you cause but, that to happen or did you like know it ahead of the event so you didn't have it? Yeah, that's always a question I I have I mean, as well. You know, as as Nathan Lee says, there is no such thing as coincidence. I didn't say that. Oh, you totally said it about half an hour ago. <laughs> I, I've never said such a thing in my life. What a coincidence that you bring it up though. But anyways, um cheese balls aside for both of us. Oh, by the way, um, do you like Bela Fleck? Just off the top of my head, dude, I love Bela Fleck. Awesome. I once had, I once went to see Bela Fleck at the uh, at the Brit in Southern Oregon, and I sat like six feet away from him, and it was <laughs> fucking incredible. Awesome. I once uh, had a synesthesia experience. Ooh. Listening to Bela Fleck, it was like maybe five o'clock in the morning. Like the sun was just coming up. It was probably a little later than that. I think it was fall. So it was probably like seven o'clock in the morning or something. And I was sitting on a couch and I had this blanket over me and Bela Fleck was playing and I could see Bela Fleck moving in the patterns of the blanket. I love Bela Fleck. That's awesome. Bela Fleck. Well, <laughs> It's 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 just like I don't know how psychic powers work, but uh, and I have like very little control over mine. Mm-hmm. But I just I don't know how I do that stuff. But like somehow Bela Fleck whispered on the head, and then I had to ask you. Yeah, I haven't listened to Bela Fleck in a little while. I'm actually going to write that down. Look up Bela Fleck. <laughs> Bela Fleck. Cray cray. All right. 
Um, also, also we have other shows that we, so we apparently share a lot in common as far as our artistic de- desire and interest and, um, mm-hmm. gravity mother effing falls. Yes. Uh, I love that show. <laughs> just talk for a minute about that show, please. And uh, I've seen it all. So you spoiler folks too bad. <laughs> if I've seen it, it's going to be talked about. You can. Yeah. Is that, that's how the spoiler thing works. It's, it's all. It's all you. <laughs> it's my show, dude. I, I, it's really, oh, totally. I understand. <laughs> I I gotta say, like, I'm not gonna cut my own head off. So please continue. Uh, well, Gravity Falls. Like, I feel so. There's a whole family of cartoons these days that are. Uh, and I. I it, this is. It's. It's got to be just because there are generations of children who have grown up watching cartoons and now are stuck. Uh, watching cartoons with their children. So we right? have like Rick and Morty and Gravity Falls and Adventure Well, Rick Falls. and Morty, I don't think is aimed at kids at all, but Gravity Falls is totally aimed at kids. It's a Disney show. Got it. Well, it's but, de- okay. I, I would say but, that Rick and Morty's aimed at really old kids, but please continue. <laughs> um, but the thing that's so great about Gravity Falls is even though there's like this surface, wonderful, uh, you know, little kid adventure show that's going on. Yeah. There's like a deeper story. There's a there's a thread. There's a story arc that stretches like the whole two seasons of it. It's incredible. Which is pretty brilliant. Yeah. Like the setup and the continuation of it. Um, there's so Absolutely. many like visual clues and cues sort of in the background that sort of aim at, th- you know, point to things that are happening. I mean, yeah. right away, they've got like the six-fingered hand on the front of the book. Yeah. They've got the number three on there, which it totally, I mean, you know, watching it later on, you're like, oh, duh, of course. That means that there's two more books. Um, right, right. And don't forget, yeah. um, just, to, just to add, because um, to pepper this in, you realize that the Nephilim allegedly had two rows of teeth and six fingers, right? Uh, nope. Where's that so, from? Uh, the, the, hashtag general knowledge. Hashtag but, um, general knowledge. You can't just say hashtag general uh, like knowledge. Like I said, I, I, I already, I already start, we already started this conversation off with, with like, you know the fallacy, the, the the fallacy of authority, and all the fallacies. So I said we're just gonna have to go with it, but yeah. Well, I, yeah, but I'm just wondering where you read it. Where did you see? Where well, did I mean, you read like, it? as far I, I okay. So I go to a UFO group, and that's one of the things that was actually mentioned yesterday. Uh, but I've seen that in print other places, and I will just recommend to anybody hearing this, go look up Six Fingers Nephilim, and you'll find it. <laughs> so please, can, Six of Swords podcast, Six Fingers is six six six. So let's go. Please continue, sir. That's all I was asking for. Ungrunkle, uh, well, you know which grunkle, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, the so so like in the uh, in the world of Gravity Falls, it is it's just sort of like it, I I don't know. It's a great TV show. There's a, so much cool stuff going on. I'm trying to think of like some of the things that it sort of talks about. You know, like Bill Cipher and the whole. Um, I don't know what you even want to call his type. You know, they sort of refer to him as a demon in the show, but he's really sort of like a creature from another dimension. And they almost take that almost literally where they're sort of like his dimensionality in a 3d world. Isn't the same as everybody else's like he's, he might be totally flat for instance, or his, his ability to transcend dimension allows him to alter the reality of three dimensions where, uh, and it, and it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's so meta. It's almost like the writers themselves are saying like, I'm, we're creating this two dimensional world and we can do anything we want with it. So here's a three dimensional character or a four dimensional or an N dimensional character that can alter the two dimensional world that all of these two dimensional 
flat drawings I think is three dimensional. It's an extremely intelligent show. Very absolutely. It feels divinely. I swear it, it feels like it came out of the ether and that Alex Hirsch, uh, mm-hmm. what with his like twin sister and his, you know, how he's always putting six nineteen into the show, which is his birthday. Mm-hmm. Very, very much like Chris Carter, ten thirteen. Um, and uh, yeah, he 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 will have objects on the ground that will like fall off, and they'll be there for the rest of the show. Like a, yeah, yeah. A, so it makes the world becomes very real. Like an important thing that you mention in your art of the memory art is that an object or an image has to what? Okay, it has to move. It has to move, and yet in that world of motion, that static object is like an inverted moving, which makes it mm-hmm. even more real somehow. Yeah, it's the it's the difference between in in Bruno's um, parlance, like the adject and the subject, right? Yes. Sub- Would you please describe that? Um, sure. Like in in classical in a classical memory system, you have um, you know, like in this in the system of uh, Loki, you have uh, locations and then you have images. And the locations are static and the images move. Just for the listener, he's saying L O C I and possibly L O C I I, not L O K I. Just for the just yeah. for the understanding. Well, it's it's locus is the singular. Loki is the plural. Yeah. Correct. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> there's this concept in the Asclepius which says that things that move move because they are ensouled or they have a, they have soul infused into them. So when you have an image that you've created in your mind, a memory image or a magical image or something of that nature, imbuing it with motion, imbuing it with you're basically breathing life and soul into it. It's uh, it's sort of a motion or a movement or an action that is akin to the act of creation. You know, in the like the Hermetic axiom, uh, axiom as above, so below. Like you're doing an action in a lower world that mirrors what creation has done in a higher world in creating you. It sounds like it's uh definitely connected by the uh, that that would utilize sacred geometry to move through the dimensions as above, so below. It uh-huh. also- Definitely um, is ca- it, that's. I mean, if 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 anyone who is a hermeticist and is not also an animist, you're doing it wrong. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that's, especially that's things I, that, things that move, things that move. Uh, it's which I think we have. A, so this is something that I think that uh, probably occultists have to come to terms with also because in uh, there's the. Uh, the bit about magical statues in the Asclepius, which is like Asclepius would be like 23, 24. Um, Hermes speaking to uh, Asclepius is like, you know, look at how we make magical statues in our, in our temples and we imbue them with life and give them the ability to prophecy and, or prophesy. They, well, whatever, tell the future and, and speak and do all these things. And so we've got like some evidence uh, that, statues in in ancient temples were animatronic or there'd be like priests behind them like pulling levers and making a move and and making noises and you know belching smoke and all this sort of stuff yeah steam and such yeah yeah but the concept being that like that act of giving them motion was the same as ensouling them or infusing them with the with the deity's presence um yes so it was really like it's this this combination between like uh magic and ledger domain or um 
or what we would call, or, or, you know, magic and delusion or whatever, where the manipulation of the physical world, even though it's like trickery and fooling people in some way, there was still this belief that in doing so, you're manipulating the imagination of the viewer. The magical world of Disney. Yeah, the magical world of Disney. But you're, 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 since you're manipulating the imagination of the viewer, you're bringing that, that image or that soul that that soul infused image to life in the in the imaginal world of the viewer. Alice is sort of, real. Yeah. Yeah. Alice creating is. which creates that sort of connection across the imaginal or astral realm between like the priest performing the rite and the priests moving the statue and the and the audience of worshippers watching the statue. In that so, way in that way the world of the Bible is just as real as Middle Earth. For sure. Um yeah, maybe in some sense. Uh so, but the thing is like the, that action of imbuing things with motion has become so much more commonplace today. You know, you can make a friggin' robot. You can get a kit off the internet and make a robot. You can have a remote controlled car. You can like, like we put motion into everything using science. Nowadays. That's a fascinating concept because the word robot means slave, of course. And um, you know, bender on Futurama, but the the idea of ensouling something and our, our concept of soul is, or you know, which is different than spirit, but mm-hmm. comparing that to a robot, like that's just fascinating with this animal yeah. principle. It, but it, it, if if animation is all it takes to to ensoul an object, then uh, you know, you, you one of those tropes in science fiction is the is the question of like if if robots can be alive or if if robots actually have life or or soul. Right, or like that, like that Spielberg derivative of the what should have been Kubrick movie AI. Uh, yeah, I don't remember if I saw that. I certainly saw a lot of ads for it, though. Um, but uh, but if so, if that's a question, then it's a question that we've been asking for a much longer time than just the span of like robots in science fiction. Sure. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a question if, that's much older. If Atlantis is what we think it is, perhaps you know, I mean, uh, we we wait. What do we think Atlantis is? What? What do we think Atlantis is? An ancient, highly developed technological society. Oh, okay. That's what a lot of people tend to think it is. Isn't that right? I don't know. I don't. I, I have no idea what Atlantis is. For all oh, I know, it was okay. just a story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus. I've never been to China, so China could be a story as well. But the idea is that, yeah, a lot of people say that, like Edgar Case from the Edgar Casey readings, for example. Mm-hmm. That he talks about, you know, besides a litany of things like, uh, you know, rec- hidden records under the Sphinx's paws, uh, he talks about, uh, you know, an ancient society that was highly developed using crystal technology. Notice mm-hmm. how Final Fantasy utilizes crystals as deity or deity-like. So they had these crystal uh, levels of tech, and you know what is what is crystal, or, but a computer chip in a way, a silicate and stuff like that. So, All right, I I want I want to stop you for a second. I want you to know something else about crystals. We could not speak over the internet without a crystal oscillator. That's We're using crystal technology right now. That's correct. Uh, that's not stopping whatsoever. That's simply adding. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, again, by, by, to say stop, in, in quite, quite, quite legitimately, um, we are saying uh, to, to say stop is the purest death. There, there's no real, even death, what we think of death is not a stop. Of course, uh, in the death card in the Dolth deck does a great job of showing that spiraling kind of energy flying out of him. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's fascinating that, uh, you know, zero Kelvin, right, would be ultimate death. I think that's like a non-extant state. It's almost like beyond um, Ein so far or whatever. Ein but so. we can't get there. Correct. Which is, which is pretty awesome. Well, um, I don't yeah. want to be there either. Well, yeah, it would be chilly. I was thinking it would be a little <laughs> tip, tip and nipply out there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and no one can hear you scream. Not like, not, not like underwater where you can hear people scream. But anyways, the point is, is that we, uh, we, we have this manifest story agent that is always ever moving. And I think uh, I'd like to ask you what you think about things like the I Ching with that or the I Ching with that, with reference to that. Do you know anything about the I Ching? Um, I read, uh, the book, that gray book that was translated from German, um, ages ago. And I played around with the I Ching a little bit. I never really, um, spent enough time with it to get a good handle on it though. It's quite like a computer program in a way. Well, sure. Uh, in the same way that geomancy is right, because you're basically dealing with bits. So you have, uh, please explain a bit about that because I'm new to geomancy still. Basically, a six-bit number. Explain that because I'm new to geomancy. Oh, geomancy, <coughs> which I originally learned also from John Michael Greer. Um, I had a feeling is basically, yeah. Well, he's he's written a number of books on it. Um, he was really into it for a while, but uh, he he basically originally described it to me as a poor man's astrology. Um. So it uses some stuff in similar with a system of astrology, but it's basically just sort of a, a random generation of, um, what is it? Six. Wait, it's, hold on. Let me do the calculation here. All right. I mean, it's completely fitting to have bits four, of six on the show. Four bits. There's four, four bits. Four, four bits in geomancy, an on, off, on, off, on, off sort of thing, right? Where you have either one dot or two dots in each line. And they create these this pattern of so there are sixteen different geomantic figures. Okay. Um, and there are sixty-four different I Ching hexagrams, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, yeah, there has to be because there are six. There are six. There are six lines in a in a. Yeah, it's it's hexagram. an eight by eight thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is sixty-four. So that's six bits. Just like um, Nintendo goes in and stuff like that. Uh, it strikes me, you know, sixty-four, two, well, etc. Nintendo is, was an eight-bit system, but that's my point. It's always done in increments of eights and stuff like that. But let's let's. Well, it's a, it's a power of two, is what it is. There you go. So um, so that's what a bit is. A bit is a zero or a one, and it has to do with like the uh, like a base a base uh, in a in a number system, right? So like sure. our normal number system is base ten. So geomancy ties into that because it utilizes the same structure. Um, I. F- I feel like they sort of tie in just be- through the fact that they are like an on-off sort of thing, where you have a zero or a one in each in each uh, line. Yeah, fundamental reality thing going on. Yeah, but I did recently speak to somebody who knows a lot more about the I Ching, and when I brought that up, they were like, "Nope, <laughs> there's no correspondence." Uh, they did because they, they have a reason for that. Well, there's no evidence that they're related. Um, and the systems that they use and the way that they work, they, they just are completely different. The only thing that's similar is the, is the, the bit-based generation of, of stuff that you're looking up. That's interesting. Um, I'd say we can put that aside for now. It, I think it warrants further study despite this one individual. But yeah, let's keep going with the geomancy. Well, 
I mean, you know, you you would expect there to be some correspondence, but there really isn't. Like, if you try to compare geomantic figures. And okay. Each- okay. Well, like I said, we can put this we can put that aside yeah. for now. But let's talk geomancy specifically. Okay. So what happens is you use um, some random pattern of some sort to generate an odd or an even number, and you use that to decide if you're having one or two dots in each row, and then through that you. Um, you come up with one of the 16 hexagram or 16 um, geomantic figures and you look it up and there's this complicated chart. I haven't actually done a geomantic reading in a long time, so I don't remember the way everything works, but I think what happens is you generate four figures. You use those four figures to derive another two figures and then you use those two figures to derive the last figure. And it's done using um, uh like bitwise mathematics, which is just great. Like you use and and ors to to combine your figures to come up with the final figure. Um, And then those, depending on where they are in this chart of seven or eight or however many are in the original chart, uh, get mapped onto a house system that is very similar to astrology. And then you look at that house system and you have a reading. So the reason that this was considered sort of the poor man's astrology was that, first of all, it's fast. You know, I mean, nowadays we're, we're spoiled because you, anybody can do an astrological chart. You just download the software and you just, you're like, oh, look at that. I've got my, my Pluto is humping Venus in the fifth house or whatever. But You know what's uh, really funny, dude, is that my Pluto and Venus are conjunct. Oh, well. You, you just picked up on something. <laughs> it means... We'll get into. We're going to get into this as we go further. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about that, but please continue. So it, it's kind of like the zodiac-ish. It's yeah. I don't necessarily. I don't think it usually uses the the signs from the from astrology, but it uses houses in the same in in a similar way. Okay. But, um, but astrology, you know, like getting a getting an electional chart or some sort of astrological chart plotted, it's very time consuming if you do it by hand. It's even more time consuming if you had to do it by hand in like the 16th century, right? Like way before computers and good observational telescopes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you would need to find a correspondence table of histories of times and things like that and everything. Or you'd have to like go out at night and chart it all yourself or or something of that nature. So it was yeah, it was like that. So so astrology, even though even though astrologers were highly paid, were were you know all over the place and frequently employed, they were for the wealthy. So wealthy people would pay astrologers to do uh, to to cast charts and and draw up all that kind of stuff because it took so much knowledge to do that. That was a that was a very highly skilled occupation. And it had and the stakes back then were very high as they are now. If you know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, but a geomancer, on the other hand, uh, you can do a geomantic chart, you know, in a in an hour. So, so it's kind of like a folkish magic in a way. Uh, maybe if yeah, maybe in a way. I mean, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. I, I, yeah, that might work. But can I ask um, you a question? Sure. What? Uh, it's not like we're on a podcast where I'm interviewing you here. I think what house and sign is your Mercury in? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I think, I, I think Mer- you have a very unique way of thinking, so that's why that's why I'm asking. Um, I've got Mercury, I believe, in the seventh or eighth house. 
Okay, that's cool because I actually that's funny because I have mine in my uh, seventh house myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember exactly. I, I know it's over there somewhere. Um, I'm trying to recall. I could look. I have my chart right here. Sure. Uh, feel free to bring it up if you want to. Um, hey, by the way, uh, just because like you know, it's kind of like public, I guess, knowledge. Uh, do you remember uh, Preston Preston Gibbs? Nope. Okay, so Greg Carlin on the higher side chats uh, interviewed him a while ago about simulation theory uh-huh. and astrology and uh, Preston did uh, Greg's chart and whatnot. And Preston's just kind of like disappeared. I was going to have him do my chart again this year because uh, he did it last October and he's mm-hmm. just nowhere to be found. He's, he's deleted his Twitter. Uh, his website's gone. So I'm just, you know, it's, it's, as someone, as people in the occult community, so-called, uh, it's just strange that he's, uh, you know, packed up and left. But I guess, you know, that's just that's just for people to know in case anyone was, uh, you know, got some readings from him. He's pretty good. But uh, yeah, he's 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 gone. Bandito. He's gone, man. Huh? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of him. But um, that's I'm sorry to hear that he he vanished on you. Yeah, I, uh, I, think, I think he's pretty good. I like his insights. But uh, we have Austin Kopic, Christopher Warnock, uh, Kelly Surtees, uh, you know, Chris, Chris Brennan, all of these good guys. And, and Brian they, Butler. Okay, yeah, right on. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, uh, so I just checked, and yes, I have Mercury in the seventh house. No shit. Okay, what degree? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's like smack dab in the middle of the seventh house. Dude, you're killing me. This is too funny. No, really. I, I, I tell, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. But uh, yeah, what's, what's, uh, what degree? <laughs> it's, uh, my Mercury is a tenth degree Scorpio. Oh, because I'm a Scorpio, right? Mercury is never far away from the sun. That's correct. So um, if I'm a Scorpio, like I told you that my birthday is next month, that means I'm a Scorpio. Correct. So my Mercury is probably also a Scorpio. Could you, uh, what's your, what is your birthday? Uh, day month year, please. November 12th. And what year is that? 1975. 75, baby. Yeah. All right. That's the year of wish you were here. You two are a fellow shining crazy diamond, my friend. We uh, covered this in the first time you showed up on my podcast. Yeah, I, I'm going to keep repeating <laughs> Pink Floyd thing because it's such a big deal to me. I pro- okay. I think we've said it like twice, actually, now. I've said it twice on your podcast, which is a good time to say thank you, by the way. I appreciate you having me on. and I, hope I that- thought that was an awesome series that we did. Like We did, yeah. a, we did a podcast for every one of your, of your Blue Lodge degrees. My Blue Lodge degrees. And once I get and- into the Scottish right, we're going to have to do 32 more. No, but... Or, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse you? I'm sorry, what? Anyways. Oh, that's just a lot of podcasts. No, you know, honestly, oh. but we both know that it's technically a chunk of four. And I, I, I was doing bad yeah. math there. It's technically 29 more or whatever, 20, 30, yeah, yeah. 30 more if, you're in, if you get all the way up there. But the idea is this. Um, there's actually the, the, the Scottish right as far, and I think this is public knowledge, it's kind of like mm-hmm. chunks of four, basically, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Well, kind of. I mean, that's how they do it now. Well, Hold yeah, on. now... <laughs> Uh, it used to be just one at a time. I'm sure at some time. Uh, oh yeah, actually, it's like that in some in different countries. I, I have a story about that. All right, please so, do tell. So we had a guy move up here from um, from Argentina, a Mason wow. move up here from Argentina. Okay, he came to our Scottish right, like when I first met him. And actually, I guess it was shortly after I first met him. And he was like, "How are you guys all 32nd degree? You're all so young." Yeah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you get it in a weekend. He's like, I've been doing Scottish right for years, and I'm only the ninth degree. Um, 
and even like I've talked to uh, Ledroit Humane uh, members, you know, the the uh, Federation of Human Rights, the uh, co-masonry, and they're like, oh, Ledroit Humane, Ledroit Humane, yeah, Ledroit Humane. Thank you. That sounds good because uh, Scottish Rite, by the way, folks, is from France. France. Yeah. Um, so it was fascinating. Like, so the reason that we rush through degrees is the Shriners. <laughs> okay, explain. Well, up until probably like 2002, 2003 or something, you had to be either a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason or a Knight Templar in the York Rite in order to, to become a Shriner. Fascinating. Yes, I've heard. And that this. was a tradition that was that had been going on for like over a hundred years. But the shrine is not like the rest of Freemasonry. The shrine is a charity organization uh, and a drinking club and that sort of thing. So all of these people who wanted to be shriners, they had to be these high degree Freemasons first. So Freemasonry, uh, it's so disgustingly commercial. It's this is like Netflix level of disgusting, right? Freemasonry was like, oh, that's cool. We'll just make you a 32nd degree Mason in a weekend, and then you can go be a Shriner and party. At least we look each other in the eye in in this, though. I got to say, I like our fraternity a little more than Netflix. I don't know. There's a lot of blindfolds going on. You you wear blindfolds a lot. (laughs) I I, I can say nothing. Um, But yeah, yeah. the idea idea is um, you're right about the Shrine. They do open it up to everyone now. Well, right, they changed that, but uh, we haven't changed the Scottish Rite back. So, do you think that? Do you think that will happen? Especially, and what about the unif? I'm asking you two questions. Do you think that will happen? And do you think the North and South will ever unify, or is there a Mason-Dixon line for that? Uh, I have. You know, I would like if it happened. I don't think it. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that the. I don't think that the. The. The mainstream Scottish Rite stuff is going to slow down again in the United States. I think it's going to continue being rush everybody through in a week. I'm not super happy about it, but I think that one thing we can do is just make sure, like there's a tendency in the York Rite to do that now too. And I think that one thing we can do, if you're a Master Mason and you're listening to this and you're thinking of joining the York Rite, refuse to go to the festivals. Do not go to the York Rite festivals where they turn you into a Knight Templar in a weekend. Do not do that. York and right. I, I hear you saying the same thing. Uh, I would say the same thing about those one day, all three Blue Lodge degrees. Like, yeah, that, that. the problem is you're you're unlikely to catch a a candidate soon enough to keep them from getting into a one day class if that exists. But we don't do one day classes in Oregon, which is why Oregon Freemasonry is the best. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, what 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 is the word? Uh, something about silent on that. Yeah. Um, I, I will let you, I, I, I will defend to your death the right to say it. Or wait, someone's death. I didn't mean Yeah, I, I mean. Maybe that was like a Freudian slip or um, something. Like a, like a razor across a Boonwellian Dalian eye. But moving forward, you really, oh, really realize how different Freemasonry is. Talking, our first episode of the Six of Swords podcast is with Brother Joe Dozerman. Uh-huh. And he is in Maryland. He's a Maryland brother. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you, this is great because I just found this out. In Massachusetts, we mm-hmm. get for each degree a small blue book called the Cloudy Books. And that's a Massachusetts uh-huh. thing only. But I'm, I found out from Joe that he didn't get anything in the way of supplementary learning <laughs> about the symbols, about all of this. They, got, they gave him a Bible at the third degree, 
But I want to know what what is Oregon, Oregon, uh, the <laughs> Oregon's blue. That, that, it's or it's origin now. Is we're going uh-huh. back to Genesis. Uh, the idea is what what do you guys have for what's what's your Blue Lodge like for supplementary learning? It How really uh, it changes from lodge to lodge. Honestly, um, my mother lodge in Southern Oregon. Uh, I had the benefit of having uh, Ralph Herbald in my lodge. Um, and he's a name. Unfortunately, he's probably one of those names that will fade from history. But maybe if I record it now in this podcast, he will never be forgotten. You know, frankly, I'm not kidding around. Let's make sure we actually restore that, restore our brother's uh, vividness in the memories. Okay, uh, then say, let me talk about him a little bit because he was an incredible guy. Do. I was going to say, just to get to the point about your Blue Lodge in Southern Oregon, um, mm-hmm. where, where, was this the same one as John Michael Greer? Yes. Yes. So he you joined. Both- Please he go. did not. He was not initiated in that lodge. He he came from. He moved down from Washington and joined my lodge. Got it. Um, so that's not his mother lodge then. Which, no, I don't which, remember which what his mother lodge. Is. A mother lodge is simply the lodge where you first took your first degree, and mm-hmm. it should be all three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so Ralph Herbald was the uh, correspondent secretary for the Southern California Research Lodge, and he was. He was hell bent on Masonic education, and he thought it was very, very vital. And I'm very grateful that he was in my lodge because he really helped me get a good start on things. And one of the things that he did is he made sure that every entered apprentice that came into Ashland Lodge 23 uh, was signed up for the Southern California Research Lodge's um, mailing list. So we got stuff right away. Like um, I think right after I got my EA degree, I got uh, Alan Roberts, uh, The Craft and Its Symbols, or whatever it's called. You know, that white book with the blue stripe on the cover. Um, and uh, and tons of materials. So, so Ashland Lodge kind of stood out. Like, that's not common. Um, most lodges in Oregon, there are a few little pamphlet style books that are handed out at each degree. One of them is the... Um, the cipher for the candidates lecture. And the second one is, uh, there's always like a little booklet that's like, uh, here are some things to know about the blah, blah, blah degree. So we have one right when you're given a petition, which we call on the threshold, which is a little degree pamphlet that just talks about like, here's what Freemasonry is, you know, really bland stuff. Like, like the first episode of that, uh, BBC documentary that just came out, just super bland Masonic stuff. Um, but I do know that there's this huge thirst, for Masonic education in Oregon. Like it's like, and I think this is happening across the country where Masons are yes. coming in and they're just being my mind. Like, why is Freemasonry so boring? Uh, the reason being, we don't do a good job of disseminating education. We don't do a good job of like getting the information to people who need it. It's, it's a multiple level thing, Eric. It's, it's not mm-hmm. just the, it's not just the education too. I think that there's a lot of emotional um, building that we can do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I we we are blessed to have in the sixth district of Massachusetts a DD who cares very uh, brother Robert brother right worshipful Robert Vartanian who uh-huh. cares very much about self he he makes a, a point to say love yourself we are mm-hmm. we, it's not just a fraternity we we are to be friends with one another because there are some brothers even my even you know some mentors of mine will say well we're not friends we're brothers you know things like that but no I think that. Uh, holistically speaking, to bring light and love is 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 hand in hand. If oh you, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, yeah, there are, like you're saying, there are totally multiple levels. And one of them is that when somebody joins your lodge, they are, they should be your friend. Yeah. So, so we, and, and, you know, my, my home lodge right now, Esoterica 227 in Portland, um, does a great job at that. Like we, uh, you know, I hang out with my brothers all the time. We have, you know, brunch every week. We, well, I have brunch with some of them every week. I, I hang out with others and other types of the week. I, you know, we meet for coffee and, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. And I it's really wonderful to hear that. Yeah. It's, I've, it's a, it's a wonderful lodge. It's an incredible group of brothers. I am extremely fond of every single one of them. And, um, I'm super happy to have found the lodge. Um, here's, so, to, here's to our brothers. I would say, Oh yeah. Shelly. That's a clink. <laughs> It's, it's our photons, uh, clinking photons. Yeah, we clinked photons. Um, <laughs> we clinked photons. <laughs> so, title, folks, uh, clinking photons. So I did. I did. A, a, here's. I have a. I have a halfway success story that comes out of this. Which is that, <laughs> you um, know, it's funny because the six of swords card is the success card in that. In, in one sense, of course. Please, uh, please yeah. continue. <laughs> so I. Um, uh, people had been bugging me for a while, like for book recommendations. So I wrote up. Uh, I, ju- I put a ton of time and effort into like making this um, uh, recommended reading list for Freemasons. You know, it's three it breaks every degree up into like, you know, here's history, here's philosophy, here's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I like that. Great long thing. I tried to keep it under a thousand words. Um, I sent it in to the Grand Lodge to be published in Oregon Grand Lodge's monthly newsletter. The editor Ooh. writes back and says, this is too long. Can you make it shorter? Oh. Yeah. I ended up having to chop it down to just like no descriptions of the books or no reasons why you should read them, just like titles and authors. And I'm just like, yeah, that uh, kind of takes the punch out of it. I, I wonder if you totally. could have asked, I wonder if you could have asked, can I split this into like three different parts, you know, three different months or something that might've been a good idea. But in any case, I, I was able to put a link at the end to the full version, which is online. So at least the full version is there. I, I try to push it out every once in a while and say like, Hey, Freemasons go check this out because we will put it in the show notes. Awesome. Let's yes, absolutely. Absolutely guys. Yeah. I, I think I might've sent you the link before, but I'll make sure that I send it to you again. Thank I'll, you. Yeah. That'd be great. That's going to be good. I I'm looking forward to that myself. I, uh, I, I am I am not as studious as I could be, and I am not on all the cylinders in my in my life in general right now yet. But um, I do make an effort to go back to those cloudy books, and we even mm-hmm. have in Massachusetts this really cool online learning tool, which I will uh-huh. tell you more about it off the air because I will not go into a single thing right there. However, okay. what's frustrating, my friend, is that only the first degree works the second degree page and the third degree have been out of commission so uh, i'm going to get on top of that and see if i can <laughs> help get that back in cuz i want to know there was stuff on that online um tutorial classroom really i don't know if you've even seen this kind these ideas this was some really fundamentally cool stuff so yeah, yeah i don't know i i it sounds interesting i'd like to check it out yeah, I mean, like, to the point where I can't even begin to describe it right now because you understand. It's just like what you were talking about earlier. What's the hardest concept? It's kind of mm-hmm. like similar to that. <laughs> if you don't mind, um, I would love to ask you another question. But if you'll give okay. me um, about a 60-second period that I will either edit out or just put some silly music in, um, I have uh, to go make sure the groundhogs and gophers aren't eating the rainbow. 
Wink, eight. wink. Yep, yep. I get it. Go for it. Checking those right. groundhogs. <laughs> hey, man. You know, it's uh, love the imagination. Uh, 60 seconds in the West Coast. I didn't even know they had groundhogs in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh. So, I bet you're really enjoying this episode so far. I know I am. I've been getting a lot of emails and DMs on Twitter asking me where people can reach me if they want to donate. And for now, the easiest answer is you can go to www.occultfan.com and on the landing page, you'll see a little PayPal donate button. And for now, that's what you can use. And again, this is the $200 section or above. If you donate that much for this month's episode, you're going to get your executive producer credits or associate executive producer credits. And that'll be the chance for you to get something set on the show as well. If you have uh, any comments that you'd like to make about previous shows or whatever really is on your mind, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say that here. And, you know, uh, up to my discretion, of course, but <laughs> I trust that our audience is cool. So this will be the part where you get to have your message read. I will also be giving uh, away a long-term similar to what No Agenda has. Uh, as far as a night system that I'm still coming up with, but pretty much we're going to be using the tried-and-true method that I respect a lot that they have employed, and again, we're going to be utilizing that on the Six of Swords podcast. It really makes me want to improve the quality of the show, <laughs> I'll tell you that. So, as I said, we're building wings after we've jumped off the cliff, and with that, let's get back to the show. Alrighty. Here we go. Yeah, you know what's actually interesting is that on the Grand Lodges, um, on the Grand Lodge in Massachusetts, we have two beavers. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> one time I um, some some uh, I, I'll go into the story later into better detail, but some um some 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 folks came down from Canada, and I was uh, we were visiting. And they each had a beaver on their shirt. And this was just after, like, getting initiated. I was just like, I just got, like, um, a Grand Lodge book with a seal on it. And then the next, like, the next day, two people show up, each with a beaver on their shirt. I'm just, come, I'm like, how? You know, <laughs> how? Why? How? The, uh, the Grand Lodge of California has a bear on, on their Yes, they do. So it's like a square compass bear. <laughs> because they have that, uh, don't they have the bear on their state flag as well? The golden bears and such. Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of bears in California. And I would say that, you know, one of the reasons that you would have the bear along with the square encompasses is that the bear is a symbol of God. Are you talking about like the, uh, this, the, 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 the seven stars and the Polaris and the bear and stuff like that too? Or Oh yeah. And also uh, uh, Shardick by uh, Richard Adams, a, a great book. If anybody has read, has never read it. 
I've never heard. Yeah, uh, could you could you could you talk about that a little bit? It's just basically the in the book. I don't remember the whole story. It's been a long time, but there's like a giant bear. When I say giant, I mean like three times the size of a grizzly bear giant, like a really massive bear. Okay. And this, these people think that the bear is God. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll say. I'll say to the to this point. You on the Six of Swords podcast, we have life saving tips, folks. And here's one of them. If you run into a black bear, act aggressive. Uh, we're, we're, if it's a confrontation, be aggressive mm-hmm. with the black bear and punch him right in the snoot, right in the schnozzle, because they have these um, vargas nerves. I forget what the name of the nerves. They go straight up into the brain, and it will really mess that black bear up. If I would also say, like, oh, if you see a black bear, don't get close enough to punch it. Just scream really shrilly. They 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 tend to not really want any confrontation with humans, and they'll probably run away. That's that's quite correct. I was getting to the point where if you're actually in bear zone now, now versus yeah. brown bear, lay the f- down and like do not move and cover your head with a jacket. Do whatever you can because you ain't gonna win against a brown bear unless you got like an elephant gun. Yeah, you're probably doomed. If you are running into a grizzly bear and it's hungry, even if you lay down, it's still going to be like, I'm going to chew on this thing anyhow. Uh, My dad... jaws on that thing can get your skull right in them. They are so terrible. Have you ever seen one? Uh, Not in real... Not not in the wild, but I believe at zoos, yeah. Oof, I've seen them. Um, So anyhow, my dad, who is uh, an avid outdoorsman, uh, the last time he was hiking around in, in grizzly bear country, he was like, I did a lot of research about this, you know, trying to figure out like what's a, what's a myth and what's not a myth. And they're like bear sprays and bear bells and bear this and bear that. He's like, none of them work. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like the only, the only time people consistently survive bear attacks or bear encounters is if they are in groups of three or more. And I'm like, and he's like, everything else is just a total gamble. Even a gun. So, even a gun. Oh yeah, don't shoot a bear if you're if it's mad at you. It's just gonna piss it off. You can't yeah. like you can't get it's like I'm I'm talking if you're a great shot. You can't like yeah. get a bullet through the eye to the brain. Uh well I think you probably can, but I mean that's gotta be a really good shot. That's a good um, shot. I I'm just saying like the only like one hundred percent way to survive a bear attack is to travel in groups. But then you're not gonna get a bear attack. So a three or more. So um, yeah, yeah. So go go in a go in a bear attacks, don't we? we? We know how to survive. Well, yeah, yeah. Just don't be alone. Don't be alone. Well, <laughs> uh, anyways. So um, so um, now that Winnie the Pooh is a national criminal again, uh, we will. What? <laughs> well, uh, on behalf of all bears, you know, he's obviously mm-hmm. he's a, it's a criminal. No, no, bears are criminals. This is oh, I don't bears. think bears are criminals. I think they're just um, they're just they're too efficient at cuddling. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm going to go with this. They're, they're cuddly criminals. Mm-hmm. They're, that's, mm-hmm. uh, this is a thing now. Um, manifesting. Just stay away from the bears, folks. Stay in groups of threes and watch out. They're cuddly criminals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm just putting Winnie the Pooh on blast. Poor, uh, fun fact, Christopher, not so fun fact, Christopher Robbins, the actual boy who the books were made for, Milne's, Milne's uh, son, uh-huh loathing the series for some reason like <laughs> it, because of his association everyone like oh you're the winning he was one of those people who got famous from something and it ended up like bear biting him in the butt bear biting him in his bare bottom but the <laughs> vaults these jokes are getting so bad so i'm gonna ask you another question now because um we have okay and i'm gonna choose the number now and i choose eight wait 
I thought it was one to six. I wrote two more questions. Oh, well, I mean, I did choose eight earlier. You did, and I didn't really write two more questions. I'm just going to subtract six from eight and get two. All right, number two. Two sounds good. What's number two? What is the question? Who do Uh, we absolutely need to read and why? Most Who? We all people. We're, We're talking outside of the fraternity, of course, now. You mean like just your general Joe off the street? If we just pull in some random guy off the street, assume that he's got like a 10th grade reading level. (laughs) Okay, now you're breaking it. I like where you're going. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, because you know what? I I honestly like, um, I don't want to, I recently, uh, over the last couple of years, like I, I loan books out to people a lot where I'm like, oh my God, you have to read this. Yeah. And so frequently they come back to me unread or the person will be like, I couldn't get through it. It was so dry or it was so boring. So I don't know that I'm necessarily a good person to ask because I read a lot. So I think that my threshold for difficulty in reading might be higher than average. Let's just just say uh, whatever book you recommend, people can magically read somehow. What do people... I know what book I would recommend to you. Well, let's just go with what would you absolutely, if there was one book, anyone, and they could eventually surmount it, and you can count me in that group. But what's this What's this magical tome? Jeez. I suppose probably. No, no, it wouldn't be the Picatrix. Okay. I mean, I think the Picatrix is a great book, but it's. it's but that's not the question, right? Yeah. Um, I guess I would probably go with, um, you know, like a collection of Plato's dialogues. Cool. Plato's I mean, dialogues. If you really are going to get into a book that's sort of like the root of of Western thought and how we're, and and weird ways to look at things, and especially if it's something like you know you said that a, a book that you could spend some time with and eventually get on top of, I'd say like yeah, dig into some Plato. Get get weird in there. I mean, we we talk about Plato frequently in our culture, but very rarely do we actually stop and look at like how bizarre his ideas were and some of the crazy stuff that's going on in there. Like Socrates talks to a spirit all the time. He's got like this spirit that tells him what to do. And he mentions it in the books. Yeah. The genius and stuff like that or whatever. Yeah, Socrates is demon or there you diamond. Go. Um, right. Yeah. So I would say read Plato, realize that the foundation of Western thought is based on stuff that we now would consider absolutely insane, even though it's probably more right than what we actually think. How about an example? My favorite example out of there, uh, aside from like the weird Socrates' Damon thing is, um, anamnesis. Ah, nice. I love, I love the concept of anamnesis. It is this, Please help us remember this. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, knowledge cannot be created. Knowledge pre-exists, right? We are, we are just uh, simple organisms, simple mortal creatures in an immortal realm. And so all knowledge pre-exists, which means that your soul... Oh, okay, well, this, this isn't a which means that. But the, another thing, to, of course, to remember is that your soul is part of a universal divine source. It is. We are, we are it all is like the pinky tip dipped into the uh, the uh, soup of reality uh, and ma- manifesting in the material realm. Wait, there's a pinky in my soup. What's it doing? Backstroke. Yes. <laughs> so you know, um, Socrates explains in Plato 
that uh, I think in Timaeus. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm so glad you brought I always that. say everything is in Timaeus, and I'm probably wrong. It's probably in Phaedrus or something. Or, that's, isn't that one of the... There's two really metaphysical ones, uh, and obviously my brain's not working, but isn't the Timaeus one of them? It could be. I honestly um, re, uh, I read them mostly in small chunks now, and I can never keep straight which dialogue is which. Okay. Um, well, well, I'll have to figure that out in the show notes that as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's two so, specifically known for that uh, ethereal, eth- ethereal. <laughs> Go ahead. I think Timaeus is probably one of them. I thought um, so. Right, right so, yep, so in any case, uh, anamnesis is, is Socrates says like this is how we learn. Um, as the man, as the soul manifests in the material world, the process of becoming material is so traumatic that it's cut off from all of its knowledge. And as you develop as an individual, as you develop your individual you know, expression of soul or spirit or whatever you learn by reconnecting to the divine source and gaining access to knowledge that your soul already has total access to. Like, basically uh, almost think of the Akashic record. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I don't mean to divert, but I just, it's just a parallel phenomenon. Omniscience or the knowledge of everything and the access to everything is totally available to your soul. Once it is fully opened up to the divine source uh, anamnesis or the, is the process of learning by which trickles of knowledge come from the divine back into into the separated state of your soul. And that's why they say it's almost as if we're remembering, and that connects to yes. the river of Leith and uh, incarnation, which I believe also serves a soul function of you can't carry around all the baggage of those previous lives due to the nature of the life process in our souls evolving, uh, whatever it does to uh, evolve us. You know, it could be. Does that make yeah, sense? but basically, learning is remembering. That's learning the, is remembering is the, the just core thing in animesis. Learning is your soul remembering. Yes, um, that's a you know you you know that I am working on this holy gift project, and I cannot even tell you how excited I am about its ultimate purpose. Um, but the idea is that when we say we will come to find that we are we are all one mind, capable of all imagined and all conceivable. It's mm-hmm. directly related to the concept that our pinky uh, manifestation, this is like a little, you know, Nate or an Eric, you know, a whole mm-hmm. ton of them. And But the source, the source, the source is what we have and it, what we have in common. And it makes sense that through this platonic concept of amnesis, that we would actually be remembering that we are all one person. And I'm going to connect that directly with empathy and the ability to, you know, uh, be uh, an ethical, virtuous, good person. What do you think about that? Um, she who remembers. Yeah, could be. That could be. I, I, I hadn't given that a whole lot of... I'd have to think about that for a second. Compare um, with Gnosis as well, just to add more to that. Gnosis? Yes, uh, the remembering, the knowing. Knowing is remembering and empathy. I'm just throwing these things because I think there's a connection to being a compassionate yeah. person in Buddhahood and stuff. Well, I mean, uh, you know, when I think of stuff like compassion and empathy, uh, a lot of times I go down the uh, Kabbalistic route, the concept that one of our purposes here in the world as a, as, you know, souls who are trying to be better, trying to improve ourselves, like one of the ways we do that is by um, imitating the qualities of God the good qualities anyhow, 
not to like turn your wife into salt qualities, but like, you know, that's the, Jehovah. That's not God. <laughs> but, uh, that's but there's this, image. um, I believe it's, uh, uh, Moshe Cordovero who wrote, uh, do I have that right? I don't remember if it was Cordovero, but I think it was Cordovero. My Yiddish um, or my Hebrew or whatever that is, is not up to snuff. So, ah, Cheshban uh, Hanefesh means the accounting of the soul. I like that. It makes me think of Ma'at's feather. Yeah, it's very similar. It's a similar idea. But the con- but in in uh, in this book, um, oh, it's totally not Cordovero. Cheshban Hanefesh is actually fairly new. Well, you are a hermeticist slash Kabbalist, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. But there's you know you read so much stuff and it all sort of gets all jumbled together. Well, well yeah, whatever book I'm thinking, of, which might be uh, Tomer Deborah. Um, Okay. Okay. Let's uh, let's keep it moving forward. Okay. the The idea is that you you sort of like isolate or or narrow down these these godlike qualities such as compassion or um, benevolence or charity or uh, equanimity. I'm and you a big work, fan of all of these things. Yes, but you work towards emulating them, right? You're like, how do I increase this trait in myself? Absolutely. Because by increasing that trait in yourself you move yourself closer and closer towards the righteousness that, that the divine creation intends for every individual to have. I agree. I think it has right. something to do with the permaculture of the soul, by the way. I just want to connect permaculture to what you're saying. Okay. I'll explain that, but go ahead, please. Okay. Yeah. I, so, uh, so there's a number of, there are a number of practices that ha- that, that involve this. Um, and I think that <coughs> it's interesting when you look at, you know, classical texts that sort of have these, these lists of like virtues or, or soul qualities that that we're supposed to cultivate in ourselves. Um, you know, like one of the, you know, uh, the 13th book of the Corpus Hermeticum is a great example of it where, where Hermes is explaining to Tat, his son, you know, these are, he, he lists off these things. Like these are the, these are the demons that afflict the human soul and it's stuff like avarice and, and, um, and guilt and like all of these, like, you know, the, the crap, like the, the seven deadly sins sort of thing, except he's, yeah. Um, and then he's like, and then in order to counter them, you find these godlike qualities and you cultivate them in you, in yourself. And those help you counter or face like the afflictions of the soul and the afflictions of the material world that cause pain in the soul. It almost sounds like a Hura Mazda triumphing over, uh, gosh, what's Ahiman. Ahiman. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I think it's, uh, it's, it's close. It's similar. Um, because you, you see this re- repeated in other cultures and in other, um, mystical systems, uh, including like in the Sefer Yetzirah, for instance, you have this concept of, uh, needing to become righteous in order to perform the work of the Sefer Yetzirah. Because you need to become a suitable vessel for the Christ consciousness in a, in a parallel metaphor. Uh, yeah, possibly. I wouldn't stick any Christ consciousness into the Sefer Yetzirah since it's a um, you know, mystical Jewish text. And the idea is that the individual uh, achieves righteousness in order to mirror That's the That's exactly the point, though. That's why Christ isn't a person. Christ is a consciousness. Well, there is a Christ named Jesus Christ. There's a Krishna Christ. There's Maitreya. There's different masters, right? Um, I think the way that I'm using this, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's completely compatible. It's simpatico. It could be. Yes. I've been yeah. getting into theosophy lately. Uh, Dark Journalist has been doing that X series and it's really, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's okay. The two, speaking of podcasts, the, the uh-huh. two podcasts I was first interviewed on was uh, about the Holy Gift and about Twin Peaks. All right. Oh, yeah. And 
Uh, the Twin Peaks ties into this following this way. In Twin Peaks, they had the Blue Rose. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and obviously, there's a great uh, fanzine out there called the Blue Rose Magazine. Uh, people check it out. If you're a Twin Peaks person uh, or if you're living in Washington or Oregon area, mm-hmm. I'll check that out. Um, so the Blue Rose is also known in a theosophy. There's a um, the Mariah Federation, MF. Mm-hmm. I've been noticing a lot of MF and FM syncs, Freemason. Uh-huh. Mariah Federation, Miller Foster, blah, blah, blah. There's nothing obscene about Mother... Ep- oh, great. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is there a blue rose in theosophy? I'm getting to that. Oh, okay, okay. If you want me to hold on, we'll never get there. Well, I mean, uh, well, I was just trying to see where... We will, we, will, we, will, we will wholly gift it by saying let go. The idea is that in the theosophy in the mariah federation specifically in this group of theosophically minded people did not see this is why i'm saying this it's not mm-hmm. all theosophy yeah there is a group known as the blue rose sisterhood also really? for men as well the blue rose bro- yeah, i'd say brotherhood because i'm a male but whatever right it's known officially as the blue rose sisterhood i think david lynch and the Holy Gift, between Twin Peaks and the Holy Gift and Theosophy or this specific mm-hmm. particular group, I think something is manifesting through me. And it's, I know this, uh, just, I, I've spoken enough about myself in that past three seconds, but I really, there's something that's all tying together. And now that the Blue Rose Sisterhood is a real thing, and mm-hmm. if David Lynch is actually talking about the White Lodge and the White Brotherhood and the Black Lodge and the Black Brothers, mm-hmm. there really is like higher dimensional you know, wars going on, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I really feel like there's a story that's living itself out through this individual known as Nathan Lee. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. David Lynch is a seer and a shaman. And he, uh, he put that forward. And the reason I'm sharing this with people right now, you included and everyone is that there's a much deeper reality going on that David touched into that Mark Frost MF again, touched into and mm-hmm. that actually telling us about what's going on not just like season eight you saw you saw the return oh heck yeah so everyone knows episode remember number eight again um, oh yeah what you realize that david lynch was telling us what happened with nuclear blasts ripping a portal open to let in those entities along oh with yeah parsons and crowley and would you sure, talk sure. About that concept let's let's shimmy shake into this let's turn right into this room now what do you think about that well, have you ever read the Invisibles, the comic series? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm gonna possibly name one. I did a blog post where I might name my daughter King Mob Miller Foster, but go on. <laughs> I'm not even. Yeah, that's for real. That and it's gonna not, be my daughter, not, not my, Queen not Mab. My You're not gonna Queen Mab, I think. No, it's no, no. Daughter. It's King Mob. <laughs> um, so one of the themes in the Invisibles is that the um, the atomic bomb blast uh, ripped open reality and allowed uh allowed something in as well the way that he pre- i mean you have to wait till the end of the series to see the way that he manifests those four main archons but I believe that- yeah um and the stuff that's let in is uh or the thing that's let in the, the alien entity which they sort of hint at it, you know the i think the invisibles characters and the king mob and the others just, uh, think that it might be the creator or part of the creator yeah, the demiurgic. Or, well, or or something of that nature, because they also tie it into like a, a four dimensional rip, right? So when this creature is let in, it is the origin of the Christ consciousness, right? 
I'm gonna have to go back and reread the entire series, man. Oh man, I I, I reread the Invisibles like every year. It's I love it. I, do you have the omnibus? No, I have the individual graphic novels. So they're scattered all over my house. I don't even know where they are. I think there's one right there. Um, That's so awesome. I have the yeah. omnibus, so I just have that gigantic like you know nuclear mm-hmm. bomb of a of a book structure. But yeah. Oh yeah. Um. um so uh, the. It's so cool that you have the individual ones. I'm gonna have to read those sometime. Yeah, they're. I mean, it's the same stuff. It's just oh, easier but to carry. Yeah, I, I get it though. But yeah. Please, please um, so, so the so the way it's it's portrayed in the in the comic, like this thing that comes through is this like amorphous blob of mirror-like substance, kind of like ah, a, a floating yeah. blob of mercury, right? And then throughout the throughout the Invisibles, they sort of hint at this other substance called magic mirror which certain characters can produce and which comes out of like the invisible realm and stuff, which looks the same way. It's this, this mirrory mercury, like flowing liquid that kind of like floats through the air and stuff. You're making me so excited to reread this right now. Like so excited. This is, I have an unconnected, possibly connected unresolved thing that goes along with this that I have not yet figured out. Uh, Bring it on. Okay. So, one of my Kabbalah teachers, um, I was talking to him one day, and he was talking about uh, Ezekiel's vision. Oh, cool. And there's this word in Ezekiel's vision that's never been properly translated. It's one of those words that like only shows up once or twice in the Bible. Nobody knows exactly what it means. And he was like, I have a vision of this word, and it looks like a flowing mirror. It's like... And he called it the semen of God. He's like, it's like God's semen and it comes out and it's like this, this, it looks like mercury and it floats through the air. Mercury and he read the invisibles. This guy's never read the invisibles. Yeah. He's been, and I was just me. like, I was just like, holy shit. Is this stuff? Yeah. Real? <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, so that is a, that's an interesting concept. I don't totally know what it means yet. I haven't really reached a spot where I have any sort of like comprehension of that or Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Or what that is really like or what that might be, but I have a feeling that it might be some n-dimensional thing where the reason that it takes on that sort of characteristic or the reason that it's always described in that way is it's a refraction of reality where reality sort of reflects in on itself in a way that we don't have a good there's no visual metaphor that captures it right so so a mirror implies duality because it's a reflection right at least uh, we can we can use it as a working idea right so there's like a a thing that isn't a thing that's negated yeah um i don't know that i would look at it well, like I'm that this. i'm actually well, okay okay go for it so the idea, because I was speaking with Brother Joe um, the other day, and he and I were talking about, you know, you think about how, like, it's you see the opposite of what's really there. Like, red is everything but red. Uh-huh. And so, like, we were, we were kind of toying with the idea that everything is... So the act of being itself is, like, negation. And so, like, all of our senses are based on notness at that mm-hmm. way because we're not seeing, we're not, we're hearing, like, everything but, and it's... It's a negation in a sense, no pun intended, of course. And I'm thinking about how, you know, if there's some kind of the, the because it's strange that the reality is at all. Like it's mm-hmm. that it is. Like it's weird that we are. That's strange. Uh, existence is an anomaly in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. 
it would almost make sense. I'm going to this mirror idea with the the seam, the semen mirror, the yods of semen mirrored, because like through the looking glass has to do with dimensions and portals and however you can phase shift your alignment to express expand your breadth of experience or to you know go through whatever portal is right the idea is that somehow that mirror concept of what is negated or reflected is somehow that very manifest story or semen of creation and i'm just tying the idea of negation or reflection or the opposite this is not that yet is into that concept like i was saying joe and i were talking about and i'm tying it in with that semen mirror that mirror semen thing Mm -hmm. go (laughs) oh i'm just sort of thinking and i'm remembering i guess uh something that that is so worthy of it's stuff that I, necess- that I can't necessarily like share in the air, but I will say for people out there who are like starting to learn Kabbalah or starting to look into it. And one of the things that, all right. So a lot of people who start to learn Kabbalah are looking at hermetic Kabbalah, right? The stuff that the golden dawn was teaching. Now hermetic Kabbalah is boring. So boring. So boring. You don't they, like, it's so you know, there, there's this, uh, you'll, you'll read often that like Mathers when he like translated, um, you know, his parts of the Zohar and what is, uh, the Kabbalah unveiled, Kabbalah Denudata, um, that he, he uh, sort of um, censored it and took out like stuff that might have been offensive to Victorian sensibilities and stuff. Oh, that's and interesting. That so it, it wasn't, is it wasn't so, to protect anything then? It was more of a self-censorship kind of like? Well, I don't know that we necessarily know for sure. I don't know that he ever wrote down like, oh, I was translating Kabbalah Denudata today and I decided to take out all the penises. Uh, I don't know that he ever necessarily said that out loud, but um, but there is a wealth, like a incredible amount of very intense erotic sexual imagery in Kabbalah. Like it is, there is like, there is sex magic embedded in Kabbalistic mysticism very deeply. And it's definitely something like anybody who's studying Kabbalah, uh, if you ever feel like abandoning the hermetic stuff and going back to the actual, you know, original Kabbalah, it's way sexier. Than, yeah, it should be though. I mean, that's yeah. the nature of generation. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, but there's a lot of stuff in there. I, I, I'm not going to mention any of it right now. I'm just saying that there's things to investigate. Um, maybe you could give us a little more of an elucidation on that. Like I know Tantra has the same concept. Chinese uh, has the same concept of that animating, uh, you know, Elon Vital. So maybe mm-hmm. give us a little more. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. okay. Here's a hint. So we already talked about the, um, the, the weird word in, uh, in Ezekiel's vision, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another yeah. one is uh, go look up the translation of uh, uh, Kelipot, uh, the, what, uh, what the golden dawn people call uh, the the Klefoth. Um but you know actually translate that for yourself Kelipot the Klefoth or the excrement right that's what they're known as uh they're usually referred to as the shells shells or excrement though right yeah but you know i would say that for the listeners out there a good ex- exercise would be like track down the actual meaning of that word and and see what you find out well is there a reason that you're not saying it cuz yeah cuz they're secrets they're secrets that if I try to explain them out loud, I'm only going to mangle the meaning. I, I don't have a good way of explaining them. It's something that... Back to like that, why we use symbols and things like that. 
Sure, but I don't want to. Um, I don't want to try to say something that I don't understand well enough to explain. Because oh, especially in a in a mystical system like this, I, all I'm going to do is spread misinformation if I do that, and I would be doing the listener a disservice. I Understood. don't want to. What, what I'm saying is, is there are mysteries still. Here's we'll, a, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll get you okay. to that word because I don't even know what the word is, frankly. I know oh. there's one that hasn't been translated, but I, don't, I didn't know that was it. Oh, no, no, that's not it. I'm, there, this oh. is a second word. This is a different word. Kelipot yeah. is, is, is Klipot. You know, that I'm just oh, saying. What's the, word that, that, what's the word that wasn't translatable that well? It was only used like twice. or uh, I can't remember. I know it's three letters long. And it's commonly used as a Hebrew. I think it's uh, Chamesh. I'd have to look. I, I honestly, I have it written down somewhere in my notes, but I don't remember the exact word. I think that seems like a worthy thing to show note, and we'll do. We'll also get people to look up the Klifoth so that they can discover yeah. for themselves what that means. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, the 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 thing. Um, it's something that like a lot of uh, modern you know, occultists who want to be all like dark and edgy and stuff. They're, they seem to be so hung up on this idea of the Klipoth. They're like, I'm going to use the Klipoth to summon demons. And I'm like, dude, that's totally, you're missing it. You, so that, isn't that you, what they call Goetia? No, the Goetia are not tied to the Klipoth. That's totally. Yeah, so let's, let's clear that misconception up. Okay. I think we just did. We just did. You uh, People who are hung up on that sort of stuff have probably got too much Golden Dawn Hermetic Kabbalah in their brain and they they feel like, um, you know, naming the Klipoth and worshipping them or summoning things through them makes them all dark and edgy when really all it's making them look like is idiots. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first, folks. No, punch, oh, no punches. Oh, I got judgy. <laughs> no, no punches pulled. So when 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 Eric gets, you send some Eric some nice, lovely protection magic from all those, from anyone who might get butt hurt over that comment. I'm not really scared of. Uh, you know, of, what? Uh, I think your point is, if they think that's how it works, they're not a danger to you, anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they might be a danger to themselves. Well. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's not a joke, actually. It's, uh, yeah. A lot of people can um, get into a lot of trouble by getting into this stuff because you're messing around with the operating system, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Alan Moore's. Uh, so, you know, I, I really I really wish that, uh, I don't know, I've heard that Alan Moore and Grant Morrison don't get on that well or something, but I'd love it if they had I a would, child. And like, yeah, I would say, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get along very well. Do that you think there's just like different personalities? Like Grant's like, woo, and Alan's like kind of more earthy? Or what do you think? Earthy? I don't know that Alan, I would describe Alan Moore as earthy, but I, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about Alan Moore myself. You know, he's... Um, Elucidate. Well, he's an anti-Mason. He, he, he thinks Freemasonry is a horrible thing. But he is such an incredible writer. I love, I love his fiction. You know, I, that, lo- you know, that, I mean... Has that whole thing about you know we, without ruining it, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the anti Masons are in that 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 makes the Alan Moore Grant Morrison thing a little even more profound mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, right? Sir Miles upside you know hangman and everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Sir Miles, you will rise again. Isn't that what he's? Isn't that what King Mob says? Uh, I think something like that. Yeah, That's, I mean, yeah, you know the the end message in the Invisibles is 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 lovely, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. So it's quite, I, it's quite cyclical too, in a way, though, isn't it? I feel, mm-hmm. I feel it's yeah, bit, for sure. Um, can I um, tell you? I've, I've told you the Kefir sync that I had with that, right? I don't know. Oh, long and short. 
Um, okay. Long and short, I'm part of a. Um, I'm. I am. I am pretty. Co- I, I'm kind of connected to Christopher Penzex Temple of Witchcraft. I'm not a member yet, but I've done mm-hmm. some stuff, and I'm part of the men's group through that. And our group did a summoning or a a, a ritual working with Kefra. The next mm-hmm. day, Invisible shows up on my doorstep, and on the first page is, of course, right. Mm-hmm. How right? Right. So, anyways, that's the connection right there. It's, it's, it's that simple. We did a Kefra working the next day. Invisible shows up. It was incredible. Very potent sync. Yeah, the Invisibles, you know, um, there's all that talk about it being a, a hyper sigil. And, and the, the, cor- the, you know, the coincidences and stuff that, that seem to go along with it. Like, I, I just think it's, 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 it's an amazing work of magic. It's a brilliant work of magic. Yeah. The Illuminatus trilogy. By the way, I'm only on Golden Apple, so no spoilers. But yeah. No spoilers. That thing is, that's like 40 years old. You know what? No There's a time limit. Time limit on spoilers. You know what? There's a time limit on you. Anyways. Hey, here's a spoiler. <laughs> Do not. <laughs> I, I, cannot, I cannot stress enough to help you remember what I said about guillotines in spoilers. Ptolemy the 13th beheaded. Pompeii. Pompeii? Oh, yeah. When Pompeii was fleeing Caesar and he sailed. Pompeii is the place. Yeah, whatever. When he sailed from Greece to Egypt and he he sought out uh, refuge, uh, you know, refugee status from uh, Ptolemy. Ptolemy was like, dude, chopping your head off. Is it because he had a threat? He represented a threat to an ideology? (laughs) How do I know this? I know this because it's friggin' history. Like everybody knows this. <laughs> okay, first of all, how do you know this? Because a lot of people don't know everything about history, and so you might have been introduced to it through a work or something like that. I was well, I, I'll tell you one thing: I wasn't there, or you were. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> but the point is, that's an interesting fact. I was wondering what caused you to come upon this. Uh oh, just question, you know. Yeah, it was because, uh, do you remember the TV series Rome? It was very popular. It was on HBO, probably. Yeah, well, my little brother was watching it, and I was a few episodes ahead of him, and I got all excited about the way they handled that. And he's like, you can't tell me what happens to Pompey. Like, he, I don't want to know that. And I'm like, dude, you're a history major. You're supposed to know this stuff. <laughs> no, I see that as irrelevant. That's funny. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, but I happen to be. So that's a, what I'm saying. Like sometimes a spoiler isn't a spoiler anymore, and, and yet it is because that's a completely different story. And I am enjoying the ever living pee out of this. Oh man, I yeah, that's a great book. I actually, that's one of those books that I've owned like several times, and I've given it away several times. You remind me of um, a cult book review. I, I believe he does that too, or maybe that's just you I'm thinking of. But I, I do like giving people shoutouts that I feel deserve shoutouts. <laughs> so, you know, it's my. It's a, it, this is my venue. I get to do that. It's actually, oh, this, yeah. this show itself is a hyper sigil I'm working on. I mean, you're part of it. You're, you are part of the fabric, the warp and the woof, so to speak. Oh, maybe we shouldn't just spend so much time talking about semen then. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's cement is very useful is what mm-hmm. I'll say. Yeah. Cement is very useful. Um, <laughs> full of, full of life. Full of mirrory, mirrory, delightful life. Now I got to ask you another question because I do have six questions. Six okay, How, you've only asked me like three, I think. Two. So that's two. Oh sh. Here's three. 
Well, okay. th- again, so one, what, cause, cause four plus two equals six. And I struck upon the notion in my stoner addled brain is to make the show four hours and 20 minutes. So that's how Ooh. I do it. So, okay. Hold on a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What was question number one? Let's talk about you. Let's talk about that sometime. But okay, question okay. one. I said question well, one concept, right? And then you did the mm-hmm. thing with the, the the thinking of the thoughts and the words and stuff, and it's hard to convey. Uh huh. Second question was the absolutely need to read one. Okay. Uh-huh. So did I ever one? say what was my absolutely need to read? Oh, Plato. Plato. But you know what? Maybe the invisibles. Can I can you're I change? To, you're allowed to do a book and a comic book. How's that? Okay, okay, Plato and the Invisibles. All right, pie, got if it. You, if you read both of those, you'll be enlightened. Every, it's, everything will be He's made. He's not kidding, because Plato and Invisibles is P.I. That's pie. There's your mm-hmm. spiral, okay? So, third quest, question the third, mm-hmm. as, as you may have heard. It's, what's your favorite David Lynch movie slash film? There's another MF for you. Movie slash film. David Lynch, mm. go. Well, you know, uh, I haven't watched David Lynch films in a super long time. Mm-hmm. I will say that I know that my favorite is not Dune. I, I liked Dune, but it's not my favorite David Lynch movie. But also the question isn't not what is not, it's not what is not your favorite. It's what is your favorite. And of, of course, by now, Alan Smithy directed Dune, as we all know. And... Another one of my David Lynch movies that is not my favorite would be Eraserhead. He's really bad which, at answering this question, folks. No, continue. You don't like um, it that much? Eraserhead? I thought Eraserhead was, uh, like, it was striking. It was an incredible, weird, visionary film experience. And uh, I watched it, and I was like, holy crap, that movie was amazing, and I'm never going to see it again. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, yeah. Okay. Um you know, uh, Blue Velvet is probably the David Lynch movie that I've seen the most number of times. I don't want to really say it's my favorite because there are some, they're actually David Lynch movies that I haven't seen yet, but... Uh, okay, yeah, but these are of the ones you have seen, obviously. Yeah, I'm going to say, let's just say Blue Velvet just because it's the one that I've seen the most. And if you're going to ask me any follow-up questions, it's probably the only David Lynch movie where I can be like, oh yeah, I remember that part. Because so it's not, been years. It's, not it's been Fire years. Walk With Me? Fire Walk With Me is, oh, you know what? I wouldn't... I thought that would have been your answer. Well, I mean, it's part of the Twin Peaks milieu. So I would say, like, I, it, you know, Twin Peaks as a whole is my favorite David Lynch work. So good. Um, Fire Walk With Me as a standalone movie is not a good standalone movie. Like, without watching Twin Peaks, it's, it's not a good movie to watch. That's a fair point. It's a very necessary movie if you do watch Twin Peaks, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, you don't. Um, I, I love the uh, the the demonic characters who live above the convenience store. Oh man, yeah. Actually, I need to go watch Firewalk with Me again because I know yeah. that those the, like the convenience store comes back in season three. And yeah, uh, it, it's a, in a much more manifest way. I I mean, we could, let's talk for a second about how he had like the level. Okay, so we're going through a series of evolutions through the generations and the awareness that David Lynch could use and Mark Frost could use back in 1990 and 1991, the humans mm-hmm. were at a different level of cognizance. Now with all this hypersaturation of information through the internet age, the mind is, the meta mind is ready in the way that he portrayed the third series there. The return was like cubing a math equation. Yeah. I'm I agree. Incredified by it. Like this, by the way, I had 
one of the uh, what I'm holding up, folks, for the people who see the video, you can see it. Yeah, me and my dude. <laughs> yeah. This is the, the twin twin peaks. Yes. Yeah. This is yeah, it right I've now. Right we, uh, we just that mirrored reality. We just like had a hyperloop. We just created, we just created a time pocket there. A pocket yeah. universe. Um and we're and we're across the coasts, my friends. So uh, we're we're two pillars, if you will. But so two peaks, if you will. And um you know, I, w- I want to get back to the idea that I have had so many sinks with this book. Like when I was reading it, I was mm-hmm. rapture. You know what? I had a, so I got this book and when I got it, I was kind of like, oh, this looks so boring. I, I mean, I was, I mean, I was sort of like, oh yeah, this might be okay. I wasn't super excited about it. And I sat down and started reading it. And all of a sudden it was like six hours later. I was like, oh Jesus. Yep. And I was, and I'd read the whole, I, I don't think I read the whole thing, but yeah, it's, got, it's, a, it's like Harry Potter. It's such oh, a yeah, like you, you totally, you sort of start out and it's, it goes so slow and it's sort of like, wait, what are these little clues? What's going on? What's going on? And then all of a sudden you're like, you've, yeah. And, and that's why I talk about how this is actually like all connected to like that. It's like Twin Peaks and Invisibles are up on the same level in that way. Cause Twin mm-hmm. Peaks is like, like it's that meta It's a meta hyper sigil. I'd say it's even above Invisibles. If I had to, I dare say Twin Peaks is above it, but that's. Mm, yeah. Cool. You know, it's definitely, it's definitely a hyper sigil. Well, I'm going to say from my point of view as an art appreciator, I mean, they're both hard to compare, but ultimately Twin Peaks has more resonance in my soul. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It, it's, it's a place for me that I've always known. Like, I mm-hmm. remember the first time I'm sitting in front of the VHS on, on box set and the gold series right over there and Firewalk. I just, it's, it's, when I first watched it as an adult, when I have working memories of it, not like I mm-hmm. happened to glimpse it as a seven-year-old or whenever I might have seen it in passing, I was about 20 or 21, and I was in the basement of the Framingham State uh, College, Framingham State College Library, and I, just, I, was, um, I had just watched Aphex Twins On, which mm-hmm. is incredible, the, the, the music video. Apparently, that's um, directed by uh, the singer of Pulp. But anyways... Um, Aphex Twins, the man. Um, and I watched that, and then I watched, it. then you know, dun dun. You know, the sound comes on that plucking mm-hmm. sound. I felt like I was like in the Millennium Falcon, or, or when it goes to like light speed or whatever. Right, right? Uh-huh. And like, God, what is it called? Millennium Warp Drive. What I forget. Star Trek does it too. Uh, hyperspace. <laughs> I felt like something. Like I was like connected like um like if i were a flower my roots like finally penetrated deep enough to get water mm-hmm. it was that kind of sensation uh, now can what was it like for you the first time you saw it hold on a second i have to help my cat he needs he needs me to open a door i'll be yes, right back please. no that's good Kibis, how's it going? You get out? this is going to be a uh, a music break for everyone else All right, sorry about that. The first time I saw Twin Peaks, I don't remember. It, I watched it when it was on the air. Okay. So, um, oh, yeah. I been about 15 or 16 then. Yeah, I don't know if I really realized how weird it was when I first started watching it. Um and but it was weird and like going back and seeing it again, 
I have to say that my favorite, my favorite scene in all of Twin Peaks through Play all on. three seasons and probably even the movie is in like episode two or three when, uh, when Agent Miller is like doing the, the rock throwing method of investigation. Agent Cooper. <laughs> Agent Cooper. Agent Cooper. Yes, yes. Where he's doing the, where he's throwing the rocks. And he's like, read a name and I'll throw a rock and we'll see what happens. And he throws a rock and hits Andy in the Andy head. Andy right in the head. <laughs> there's no, you can't hurt where there's no sense. Or what does he say? No pain where there's no sense. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a super classic, like genius fool character. Like he's so great. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, for sure. Great. And I love it in the third. Now, first of all, let me, let me please validate what you just said. I, I, I actually, I absolutely understand that scene is etched into my soul as well. I love that scene. It was really, and I bet in TV, like that method of like John Cage is like, I mm-hmm. him. like, I really, I feel like he, that, you know, if that was a trope that was ever used, it was rarely. And when they did it, they really nailed it. Like you could feel it was something transcendental about that scene. Oh yeah. Yeah, you, for sure. Do you remember in the pilot episode? And I want all my, to all my peakies out there. Y'all remember, this is the best scene in the series, I swear to God. It's when that kid does the thing and turns around and dances down the hallway just so <laughs> randomly. you remember that kid? I do not. I, I Look, there's, there's a lot of TV out there, and I can't remember every single but, thing I've seen on the, the television. The point, the point in Twin Peaks, though, Eric, is mm-hmm. it's when you rewatch it, you will know exactly why I say that. It could be the single most occulty, mystical, esoteric expression in the whole series. Like he just, there's this kid who closes his locker, mm-hmm. collapses. It's just a hallway shot. He's you know, all the kids are going to class. It's right uh-huh. before that uh, principal, you know, who looks like he's kind of like a bulldog. Like, and I'm sure he's voiced one in a cartoon. He's like crying <laughs> over the intercom. Right before yeah. him, because you know, and James snaps his pencil, and Bobby's not in class because he's a drug guy. So the idea is that, um, and they did a great job with uh, Mike and Bobby's characters when they grew up. Uh, mm-hmm. the copies. Oh yeah, yeah. They're great, um, brilliant. But I'm sorry, just let me. Uh, the kid closes his locker, claps his hands, spins around, and does this like snaky motion off the screen. It's so unnecessary, but it's transcendent <laughs> uh i had a blue rose um coincidence this summer go on so i was involved in a very good friend's wedding and um and it ended up being so, to them i'm just thank, yeah that, they, they are an incredible couple i'm super happy for them but What's that feeling but the the wedding itself, like sort of the process of it, it was sort of a month long thing where there was a lot of travel involved. And, um, first of all, uh, we went to this, he had this incredible bachelor party on the coast. Um, and it was delightful. So we had this huge, huge, super gnarly heat wave this summer. And so we went out to long beach, Washington, which is nothing like long beach, California, wherever that other long beach is. (laughs) And it was cool. We went from like 96 to 100 degree weather in portland out to the beach where it was like 60 degrees and it was just oh, wow. so amazing. misty and nice and cool and while we were out there you know we were like sitting around a campfire and i had this incredible mystical experience and it was just amazing Campfire's um, edge, baby yeah so then the wedding itself took place in idaho okay and um 
on the way out to Idaho, uh, which is a really, really long drive, I carpooled with 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 uh, some very close friends of mine. And um, are these brethren? Yes. And we, but but they weren't all esotericists, right? Like one of That's, them was a, a fellow, a fellow esoteric occultist guy, but the others were just absolutely normal, ordinary people who are. That's how it works sometimes, yeah. Um, and we had stopped for lunch. And I'm sitting across the table from one of my one of the super normal, ordinary guys. <laughs> he's not super normal and ordinary, but you know what I mean. He's not a he's not a magician or an occultist. Comparatively speaking, sure. And he's wearing this gray T-shirt with a blue rose on it. Huh. <laughs> Loving it. And I was like, oh, shit. We're in a blue rose case. We're in Washington. <laughs> That's awesome. So he yeah. had no idea. He had no idea, and he didn't know why uh, my fellow occultist and I were so excited and freaked out about his shirt. I will be right back again. I have All to right. make a trip to uh, the make sure those gophers aren't chewing on the rainbow oh yeah i'm gonna go check on gophers too i'll be right back gophers i am back as well all right. Jesus. Yeah, I, guys, it's all the coffee. I swear to God. So much coffee today. Uh, the revolution in America was built on the backs of coffee and beer. Yes, it was. Not much has changed. And that's another thing. Check this out. And, um, so Brother Joe is from Michigan originally, and he, on the first podcast, mentioned three beers that you, know, he, you must check out, which we're going to get to with my, my brother right here. Because I know you have some good recommendations. He said, Eric, said that he likes two from Michigan. One's called Bell's Brewery, and he mentioned Two-Hearted Ale. Uh Two-Hearted Ale. And um, then he mentioned Founders, uh, Mm -hmm. their porter. At my liquor store that I go to that gives me the free beer. These guys are so – I swear to God, they're an extension of my family. I love these people. Um. Two of the people who work there uh, have a birthday on September 12th, which is the same as my mail lady. So three people get gifts that day. These guys had two-hearted ale right on top of the porter. <laughs> two Michigan beers by complete accident. The two ones mm-hmm. Joe mentions first are side-by-side side at the liquor store there. Cool. No, that's man, awesome. That's redonkulous. Uh, and the third okay, one, fine. That's redonkulous. <laughs> what is it? It's redonkulous. Sure it is. Um, the third one was the uh, South African Guinness. So now we're going to transition okay. to that. Now we're, mm-hmm. here's our beer, beer rose case. What is your favorite beer and then two others? Or however, what, what are your top three? Make sure that uh, you give, give your soul to this answer because we want people to discover new things. And I'm, I'm assuming you know some really good stuff that even I don't know about. Please enlighten us. Uh. My three favorite beers. Um, well, again, you know, you're, that's that's one of those questions. That's it's a really tough thing to answer oh. because, well, I mean, I could talk about my three favorite styles of beer and some examples that I enjoyed from them. Yeah, uh, I bad. could talk about beers that I think are sort of like exemplary in their in their class. Sure. 
Um, you do have that podcast, My Alchemical Bromance. I know, and I, I taste and enjoy a lot of beer on that podcast. Yes. And all right, here's a beer that I look forward to every year when it comes out, uh, which is Hopworks Abominable. It is, um, I wouldn't say that it's like a remarkable beer and that it's one of the best beers in the world, but it is a beer that I always find incredibly satisfying. It is a um, sort of a strong IPA style, sort of a strong dark IPA style that they, that they call a winter ale. And it is both uh, heavily malty, heavily hopped, and uh, a little hot. And I, I like those three things in a beer. I like that sort of over the top in every direction, but not too much, not like a triple IPA, but like, you know, it's a good, strong, malty IPA. Um, I think that's hard to do, to get the malt balance with the hops like that, if you can preserve the malt, and I know what you mean. It's yeah, yeah. And the taste and everything, a little mm-hmm. bloody-ish. Yeah, that's, the hops are like knives. The hops, like there's a hop knife beer by Trogues, but uh, mm-hmm. the hops are like knives. They really cut through. They're a cannabis-type thing too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number number. Thank you for that answer, by the way. You could tell it was a winter beer because Abominable Snowman, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, another beer that I really like. Now, the, the style, Saison, uh, the style of Saison is, sure. is possibly... S-A-I-S-O-N, people. Yeah, it's possibly my favorite. Uh, I like how earthy it is. I like how a lot of times it has like a really good funk to it. Sometimes it's even kind of a little chunky and weird. Um, I know what you know, you're there's there's a wide variety of them. So you can get some pretty light, nice saisons. You can get some that are a little more yeah, like earthy. A springtime saison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can get some that are a little bit more earthy and thick. Uh, there's a brewery. This is, I'm not, I had one of these yesterday and I thought it was really nice. Uh, there's a brewery in Portland called Level Brewing and they have a saison that's just delightful, but it's a little on the light side for me. Okay. Um, so you like the funkier, earthier. Saison. I like the funkier, earthier saisons. And I would say, uh, Saison Dupont, which is a, a French Saison that you should be able to find in the import section of your local microbrew store. Uh, it's kind of the classic Saison, um, probably the first one that I ever had, and um, the first one that was really widely available before Americans started brewing Saisons. Yeah, uh, okay. I haven't had it in a while, actually. I'm thinking about it now, and I, I want to like go back and have it. But I kind that of want Saison right now myself. Delicious beer. Thank you for that, man. I love, I really, for one, uh, first of all, I just like talking with you. Like, uh-huh. I like our flow. I like our dynamic. But yeah. Is, well, I, I assume you do too. Yeah, I do. I but, Hold on, but I was just thinking of another beer. Talking oh, about Saison DuPont reminded me of Omegang Hennepin. Awesome, dude. Yeah, that, that's which, got a lot of sparkle to it. Oh, God, that is a, that is a great beer. I used to... I mean, it's. I don't know if it's still widely available or not. I know that Omegang got purchased by um, uh, Duval, so they aren't. They aren't owned. They're in Coopersville, right? They're like the, where the baseball hall of fame is. Oh, interesting. Uh, there's a um, brother named Nate who works at the baseball hall of fame and at Masonicon this year. He gave a talk on baseball and Freemasonry, but. Just, <laughs> Yeah. So anyhow, um, Omegon's Hennepin, at least the way it used to be made, was uh, was probably my favorite beer, and I drank a lot of that. That was are those ex- are those expensive where you are? I remember them being kind of expensive. It was you'd you'd get basically like a wine bottle sized bottle of beer for about nine or ten dollars, I think. So it was a little spendy. That's a um, little, I, I guess we have different prices because like an eight. Oh, we absolutely do because it doesn't. You get it. You get it out with much less shipping. But it's actually. Well, I was going to say I thought it was more expensive. Oh, I don't know. It sounds about the same. Anyways, I'm not one for I don't prices. Know. 
Mm-hmm. It's also been years, right? Yeah. So, so prices have changed a lot. So it could have typical bottle, you know, because you either get like a six pack, a keg. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah, this was like a seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottle, like a wine bottle size thing with Which a basket case on for top. Seven ninety nine to eleven, I'd say, like across. Yeah. The- yeah. That sounds, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I haven't had that beer in a while either, but the, that, that for a long time was among my favorite beers. I wonder if the um, people listening are going to find that price bit interesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So let's see. Uh, and then I'm also a pretty big fan of dark beers in the winter. And when it comes to dark beers, you know, there's like a wide variety of stouts available. Now in Oregon, uh, Fort George Brewery in Astoria, Oregon, they are probably like the king of stout brewing here. And they make this um, sort of their everyday imperial stout, which is called Cavatica. Uh, and that thing is just incredible. If you can find it, you I don't know that, that they... Like Cooper drink coffee. You just said that the same... that You just made me think of how Cooper... Like, there's. Oh, please continue. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. So every year, every year, Fort George makes probably like 20 different stouts during the winter, and so you can go and and they release a lot of them in February. They call it Stout Month, and they have like the Festival of the Dark Arts, where it's all imperial stouts and stout beers, and then like tarot readers and wizards and stuff. <laughs> pretty cool um consider me moving out there possibly <laughs> but uh but they do they, you know i mean like so every year they come up with a stout where i'm like this is the best one they've ever made so so yeah. i would say that's it that's a moving target but definitely try fort george stouts if you ever get a chance um i remember a couple of years ago they had an oyster stout and i had never really uh, experienced a lot of oyster stouts before but it freaking blew my mind yeah Definitely, Fort George. Their stouts, Cavatica is incredible, and their other stouts are pretty good too. I like I like your style there, man. I like that. I appreciate that. Uh, you know who? Um, oh, what's the artist uh, going on a uh, Hunter S. Thompson thing here? Ralph Steadman. Uh, ah, yeah. For oh, he does a flying dog, and that's out of Jersey, I believe. And is uh, it? just like Christopher Laurie Knowles <laughs> is out of New Jersey now, although he's a brain tree dude. Um, and that's in Twin Peaks, the Braintree. Uh, that's where uh, John Adams was born in Braintree. I believe that's correct. It's also a lot of MK Ultra stuff. So we're going to move away from that topic right now <laughs> and move back to the fun stuff. With, uh, Doesn't the red line end in Braintree? What is it? <laughs> Doesn't the red line end in Braintree? Does the red line end in Braintree? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, the, the, the train not... in Boston when you take right, the, the com- Not the commuter rail, but the red line. Right. No. Yeah. Um, could i i i think there's a stop there but i do not i don't know. I, I went to i got my degree from umass boston um mm-hmm. I eventually it took me three schools and i graduated with three majors and of course three minors so there's your three 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 and um and wait hold on a second is your favorite pixie song umass you know, it's funny. I actually went to two different UMasses, and neither of them were about Amherst. Uh, neither of them were Amherst. Um, I went to the one where if you add a D in front of it, you get the word dumb. D- uh, <laughs> dumbass. Yeah. So I went to UMass Dartmouth, and you can take the now, – now I'm realizing some fate here. You can take the D from UMass Dartmouth, which is where that alleged Boston bombing kid went. Oh, alleged. Mm-hmm. alleged. So the point is, is that I went to uh, UMass – Dartmouth for two years. Then I went to uh, Framingham State College, which is where I saw the Twin Peaks 
<laughs> it's just not like an older person. When I saw the Twin Peaks, and then I finally graduated. But one of them, uh, one of my, I was relevant because I took the red line into UMass Boston all the time. So I'm familiar mm. with the red line. But um, the best thing, uh, I'll finish the thought. Best thing about going there, man. Best thing about going there was the ocean view. UMass Boston's mm-hmm. right on the ocean. Oh my God. In the morning, you're taking the bus there. Oh, nothing better. It really just so, it was so wonderful. Just the way the sun hit the ocean there. Oh my God, to die for. But anyways, um, that's why I brought up the red line thing. But anyways, we were actually mentioning New Jersey um, because of the, uh, the beer dogfish. And the whole reason I brought that up was oysters. They made an oyster beer as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there were a number of them that year uh, that I got a chance to try. Um, I, I don't know what made them so popular for a little while. But yeah, the oyster stout's an interesting style. You know, the, the, the oysters are... The beer doesn't actually taste like oysters, typically. Usually, there's just a little bit of saltiness or like an extra sort of earthy... It's thickness. Yeah, it adds it adds a little bit of body or something, or maybe some umami or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great word for it, the umami. Yeah, but it's not uh, it's not usually overpowering. I know that the idea of having oysters brewed in your beer really turns off a lot of people. And I would say, if you see an oyster stout, you do yourself a disservice by not trying it. Oh yeah, I'll drink. And that season is coming up, so watch out for oyster stouts. Watch out for oyster stouts and drink them if you can. I got. I just pulled the love card, so uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that someone of uh, the listeners to this actual episode, no matter what month you're listening to it, be it February or not, uh, if you find a good oyster stout, I want you to make a comment and let Eric and I know because we will try it. Yeah, for sure. I will. If we can get it. You know, I, sorry. Yeah. If we, we can get it, you know. It's... If we can get it. Um, I just noticed, Eric, that the the first tarot card that I pulled was, of course, a six card. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> They're everywhere. Sixes are everywhere. <laughs> so, actually, speaking of, speaking of, you're not even kidding. Can you, I'm sorry, I'm not turning that <laughs> uh, The people can't see this, but um, there's a six, because yesterday was a six and a seven. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going to read to you both these quotes, everyone. Okay. Within you, there is a stillness and a sanctuary to which you can retreat at any time and be yourself. That's Herman Hesse. Mm-hmm. Religion is not only to go to God by forsaking the world, but to find Him in it, and that's Soyan Shaku. So H H and S S. But yeah, cool. good quotes. Yeah, I thought that it would be appropriate and fitting to bring those things into this. Uh, so we're, we're we're gonna put those beers on the show notes too, so people can link through to them. Now we've reached the point okay. where I'm going to flip to a random page of a random book. Okay. Idolatry Restored by Three Hands Press. <clears throat> okay. So the random piece of information is this. The second part of the Gamayas dyad, still forthcoming, concerns the actuated or living embodiment of those principles set forth in its predecessor. In this work, the axiomata of the light heretical progress or progress in their enfleshed forms and the entire range of sabbatic aesthesis, aesthesis yeah, um, is projected through the sensorial body of the witch. Huh. Through this specific modality, representation of power ceases to be art and becomes entity fully manifest. Hmm. 
feel like there's kind of a connection to what you were talking about the animating principle in the um the thought the thought palace there. I, I was connecting those two ideas there. Oh yeah. I can see that. I got some books yesterday. So I had a really good uh experience yesterday. A friend of mine um has a bookstore in Portland called Backstory Books and Yarn. We will put that and, on the show notes too, please. Okay. Please and she, that, she just reopened her shop uh in a really nice part of town. So she's Cheers. getting a lot of foot traffic. So I went there and I got a couple of books and they were not books that I expected to get, but check this out. William Butler Yeats in Hebrew. Holy crap, dude. <laughs> I know. That's isn't that nuts. great? Yeah. So I was really excited to see it. It's, you know, I've, I've been learning Hebrew and I'm not doing a super good job at it, but well, um, I, I've been meaning to learn it myself. So we will talk about that later. I, yeah. why don't, why don't we study it though? Yes. Okay, but it's just crazy looking at a at a non-Hebrew word that's been translated transliterated into Hebrew because you can kind of tell sometimes there there are clues like there are certain letters that aren't used very much in like native Hebrew words but more in like foreign words that are written in Hebrew letters. Example: um, uh, both uh, Tet and Samech tend to be more in foreign words than in native Hebrew words. Um, so okay. sometimes if you see a word and it'll have like strange letters next to each other where you're like, that's weird. I wouldn't expect to see that letter there. You can sort of be like, Oh wait, this is probably not a Hebrew word. Um, so I picked up this book and I was like, huh, those pictures look familiar. And it took me a little while and I realized, Oh, that's how you say William in Hebrew. And then I was like, Oh shit, it's William Butler Gates. So I got it for sure. And it's facing translations. That's really cool. How you realize that through using the Hebrew. Oh, look yeah. at that. It's so, Hebrew on one side and English on the other. Yeah, so, that's uh, great. So that'll be a good learning tool. There's a book that I wanted to get that was recently released in a very limited quantity. I'm not even sure if it's still available, but it's like this orange book. Half of it's French doing that. I can't even... Mm -hmm. It's something hermetic, though. It's a hermetic... You might even know the one I'm talking about. There's a hermetic book that came out in a limited quantity recently. It's uh -huh. orange, thick cover, and it's something about a French hermetic. Yeah. Well, I'll figure it out if I can. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, orange French hermetic book. I'm writing it down. <laughs> orange is kind of great for hermetic uh, both mercuries. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's your strongest planet in your chart? Uh, um, I don't know. Jupiter's doing a pretty good job in my chart. It's conjunct with the ascendant, but it's in Aries. But yeah, I'd say Jupiter. Jupiter's doing a pretty good job. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's like exalted or, or what. I don't know where Jupiter. I know that Jupiter's not good. It's in its fall in Capricorn, which is where I have. Yes. Jupiter. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not. But sometimes it happens. <laughs> well, I chose this life. I firmly believe we choose these lives, mm -hmm. and um, my chart more than compensates for it. Um, the idea is that the two benefics, the gold and the blue, like Freemasonry uses, both. Mm -hmm. I only have two planets in the fall, and wouldn't you know it, it's the sun and jupiter mm. i have obviously i'm a zeros so here's interesting i'm a zero zero degree sun and that's uh so i have a virgo libra sun I, you know birthday was just the 22nd but my uh my pluto is right chasing it ahead it's in the next sign in scorpio and i have a zero 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 degree score uh pluto in scorpio so the furthest when you're saying zero, zero degree, do you mean conjunct with the ascendant? Is that what you're meaning? No, no, no. Every sign has a, a zero to 29 degrees, right? 
when it yeah. enters a new sign. Yeah. Yes. Ascendance just like over there where the horizon is. Um, yes. But uh, I, I'm talking about the actual measurement of the zodiac. So we have zero to twenty nine flips over again. Zero to twenty nine. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was just. Um, and that's also interesting because I know you know this about the tarot, but we'll also mention how tarot, uh, the cards, the aces are pure elements. And I know that you'll be mentioning this in your series, I'm sure, but how each one corresponds to the three, each decade of the zodiac, of course. Uh, I probably won't talk about that, okay. actually. I, I, don't, I, was like, I, don't, uh, I don't use the tarot in conjunction with the zodiac very often um, because, again, all of that stuff is very new. Like, it's it's not... It's it's a it's a new correspondence. I find and, them extremely useful, though. I just enjoy the living dickens out of it. Yeah, my my exposure to zodiac or my 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 learning of astrology. Um, I haven't done. I you know I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the really modern stuff. I tend to like the medieval and Renaissance and older. I bet you would like Vedic astrology, astrology too. I bet you'd like the. Um, I've looked into it a little bit. Yeah. Like but, I know Heidi Brandenburg and Jenny Moonstone have a great uh, show where they go into Vedic astrology and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I'll look that up. Yeah, I'll look that really, up. they're both really cool. Um, Heidi is super Mars and um, Jenny is super Pisces, or you know, water. Um, uh -huh. I was ask you, do you know? Could you could you please share with us? Um, these, I have questions. I'm a professional here. Okay, um, okay. Do you do you would you please let's talk? Rise. Wait, what number is this one? This isn't one of the six questions. Oh. Six questions, and then there's just, you know, we're having a conversation. There. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Go. Yeah, every show is going to have six questions that I just kind of pluck out of my, my, my rando mind. <laughs> Here. <laughs> the divine cloaca. Huh? Yeah. It's a, the divine cloaca. <laughs> the divine cloaca that's named Chewbacca. All right. <laughs> if it's making that noise, folks, have her get a, Anyways. So, you're, uh, you're, what's your rising sign, my friend? What is your rising sign? Um, Aries, like I, I said a minute ago. Did you just say that? Yeah, what because you, you asked what my strongest planet was, and I was like, Jupiter, which is conjunct with the ascendant. Conjunct your ascendant. Thank yeah. you. you know, I, I, the word rising and ascendant just like completely oiled and watered. Yeah, totally. That's, that's the same thing. It is. It is the same thing. I happen to be aware of that, because my rising is, just like I mentioned with Heidi and Jenny, I am a pisces rising so you and uh -huh. i are actually like super close like you were one off or i'm one off from yours yeah yeah your son is scorpio mm -hmm. where is your moon pisces oh good mm -hmm. <laughs> i am very uh i am very affectionate towards anyone who has a pisces in the rising the sun or the moon very affectionate um mm. yeah it's very useful to have oh you have a wonderful moon placement um absolutely yeah. yeah it's been weird oh it's a very psychic a very psychic position <laughs> yeah yeah it's been like i said it's it's been a little weird my uh yeah no i have as a pisces rising like rising's like the big one yeah mm -hmm. trust me I, I i get the weird pisces like got it so all right um and you said that your mercury is in your seventh house in if that's leo then scorpio scorpio i did that backwards i did it backwards because mine's in Virgo, mm -hmm. but we have it in the same area. That's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if using the way that you and I look at, if we could look at how we one another think. We're both second degree, second decan for Mercury, but it's a different sign. Are we? You know what we can do right now I because I have be. it at hand. This is Thirty Six Faces by Austin Kopic. I'm going to read to you what it means to have that because he, you know, that he breaks it down in this book. 
I am, oh yeah, I guess I already told you, I'm barely second decking. Yeah, just barely. Well, I just flipped open to Scorpio 1, so that's okay. kind of synchronistic. But um, So you are second decking, though. It is 10 degrees, right? Yeah, 10 degrees, 37 minutes, so just barely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right on the cusp, but you are in there. Um, Scorpio 2 is titled an apparatus for mutual distillation. And I'm just going to jump straight to Mercury for you. So this, my friends, is Eric's Mercury. Mercury and Scorpio 2. Mercury in this phase seeks meaningful mental discourse. Oops, go no further. The desire for mutual distillation is relocated to the mind here, and a type of intellectual tantra is the result. Through such exchange, exchanges, certainly, though such exchanges certainly include discourse with other people, Mercury's tastes are drier, and these natives often achieve satisfying union with a particular subject of inquiry. The hmm. Hermetist Kabbalist Club guy. Their ability to sustain focus is great once they are engaged, yet the same capacity can be their downfall, for they are prone to fruitless obsessions. Hmm. To finish, Mercury's power in this space is to emotionally anchor the minds to a subject. Alternatively, this power can be activated to bond people emotionally through conversation. <laughs> I'm weaving. Mm -hmm. And then it says, though, well, they can't see that. Though sufficient to create such connections, Mercury's essential dignity is only by term and therefore only minimally adequate for most mercurial works. Cool. I mean, that sounds great. Do you find that resonates with you or does that not sound right? Uh, I'd say that it resonates with me pretty well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, I, my feelings about natal chart astrology are kind of mixed. So it's hard for me to, you know, I mean, you could probably have told me that I, that, that Mercury being there was important and read me like the second decan of Pisces. And I still would have been like, oh yeah, maybe I could see myself identifying with that that might be <laughs> well let's 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 do that we'll only read one more for the mercury in which of course we okay compare it uh virgo three is called the sarcophagus by the way that's cool but mine's virgo two at 15 degrees okay so we're gonna use this to compare and see maybe he's right if i read this and you know i understand what i understand the concept so Vir venus in virgo two okay considered the ruler uh, <clears throat> considered the ruler the in descending yeah there's a typo here um okay considered sorry the, but the, when you hear how it sounds considered the ruler the in descending order system uh yeah there's a typo yeah um of planetary attribution venus has a special role to play in this decan oh shit dude i'm reading venus sorry well <laughs> i guess i read the so mental typo discover typo but we're looking for mercury mm-hmm I don't know what's wrong with my brain there. <laughs> Plenty. All right. So, actually, this would say otherwise. Swift Mercury is strong in this face, as he is in all of Virgo. Those born while the messenger is here are blessed with thorough analytical minds. They have a talent for thinking through a process from start to finish, and thus many excel at laying plans. Trussell board, what, what? They are critical of others' opinions and prefer, <laughs> and prefer facts to visions. If Mercury is not overly impeded, their intelligence is easily applied to both academic subjects and business matters. 
And I'll add right now, just uh, Christopher Warnack has some great talismans for Mercury and um, business. Definitely going to be looking into those. See, I identify with that one too. Okay. Mercury is exalted <laughs> in Virgo and thus ripe for all manner of hermetic operations. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend. Though a great number of works can be completed while the messenger is in the face, a work of empowerment or a properly crafted talisman, and you are just starting to talk about talismans, will result in increased clarity of thought and ability to weave fine plans and greater facility with the written and spoken word. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely identify with that, but this is a good time because I wanted to shift into how, what you're recently working on, which is a, an article you just posted about talismans. And I wanted to connect that to Brother Warnock. Where, well, actually, he's demitted. So uh, to, to Chris Warnock, but uh-huh. tell us about what you're working on, what caused you to get into this, and what you're trying to achieve with that. Uh, oh, planetary magic. Um, well, I've been interested in it for a while. Uh, I've been probably looking into it a little bit more seriously over the, over the last two or three years and, um, you know, mostly in an exploratory phase and then just started working with it more and more this year. Um, it's mostly just, you know, I mean, in the course of working through stuff with ceremonial magic, I've been looking more at grimoires and older works. Uh, I started to get really into the Picatrix and really into, you know, spending more time reading Agrippa. Um, and a lot of the stuff that goes on in the Picatrix and Agrippa is planetary magic. So I've been looking at that more and more. Now, the, the connection between planetary magic and Renaissance image magic is fascinating because they are so closely tied together. And so what I've been working on lately is just some of that concept. Um, as far as like what I hope to gain from it, I don't know that I, I'm trying to sort of maintain an open mind as to what it can possibly bring me. But a lot of the stuff that happens in planetary magic is you attempt to do things like um, work with different planetary energies in order to overcome, you know, shortcomings in your own chart or something of that nature. Um, But you also, you know, I mean, for me, it's, kind of a question about, you know, like we were talking about before, oh, excuse me, uh, gaining more virtue or more of these like soul traits that, that lead you to a more, you know, into being a more righteous or, or ethical or moral person. Um, yeah, virtuous primarily because the virtues, you know, or acquiring virtues as part of ascending the spheres. So working with the planets and working with that sort of stuff is part of the process of ascending the spheres in a hermetic sense. Is that similar or is it directly analogous to Jacob's Ladder? It is directly analogous. Absolutely. So that's yes. like a Chinese or a tantric system because we're all human. So, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, and I, do, I do get, I do get, uh, I do, I do appreciate a, a uh, not even synchronization, like just like the 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 perennial, right? Like the the base that all derivative der- derivate from. I, I there there are archetypes, there are you know extant um, energies that are standing waves, if you will. And um, yeah, possibly, I think so. Um, so that's what. We, so you're talking about virtue as a way of ascending to a mm-hmm. higher god. For what's going on with that? Like because uh, we're. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's all tied into like the whole thing, like with anamnesis and the different levels of the soul that we talked about right at the beginning of our yeah. conversation, where 
you know, it is my feeling is that like the magician's purpose is, um, is returning the soul or, or reconnecting the soul with the divine source or finding some way of helping to repair the, the damaged creation. Right. Is so that like evolve, is that similar to spiritual evolution? Is that analogous in a way, would you say to spiritual evolution? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, a whole lot about the term spiritual evolution, but I would say that it's, uh, I sort of look at it as a, a, analogous to the process of tikkun olam, which is a, uh, that, yep. Um, I put that in a yeah. resume once. <laughs> that yeah. I'm so that's say, a, tikkun olam. Mm-hmm, it's the, the Kabbalistic concept of the healing of, of creation or the healing that's of the correct. world. Yes. And the world. And we get taught, uh, in, I feel like both, uh, Hermeticism and Kabbalah, that the only way to get to the point where you're participating in Tikkun Olam or where you're able to partic- to contribute to that process is by ascending spheres, is by um, nourishing the levels of the soul and opening the levels of the soul up so that you have access to the divine source. Or perhaps, perhaps, and I, I again, like this is one of those things where you read about it and you don't know what necessarily is going on until you get there, but it could be that we are not able to operate according to our own faculties outside of the bounds of like, you know, we might not actually get to practice free will until we, we manage to. Sure. I, yes. I, I don't think that it's something that we get for free. Right. I think that it's something that you have to work for. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's the burden of Christ being crucified, carrying the cross in a metaphorical sense and all of that. Um, I definitely think that you're, I think you're onto something with the, uh, like the way I'm looking at it recently, like theosophically in a way is the purification mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Zen yeah. Letting go, but, or whatever, becoming a clean enough vessel to like then have access to like having the Christ, the master of Christ energy flow into you and be able to mm-hmm. keep that and then project it. I think yeah. Something analogous going on with Tikkun Olam. I think that the holy gift is actually when I write the book finally, because it's being revealed to me. Mm-hmm. When I, when I, when I finally write it, it's going to be a process of tikkun olam. It's going to be uh, a very like one world religion way of looking at it, and it's mm-hmm. a way of repairing. It's going to be the perennial philosophy, which is hidden in the change from the holy gift, uh, the ladder Alice, that's ladder Jacob's ladder in Alice in Wonderland, mind you, ladder Alice, instead of going a line, you're going in a spiral now in the holy gift, which is the same thing in Robert Anton Wilson's book with the, uh, the Illuminati being what all lines and stuff like that. And the golden apple being the golden phi ratio, the, the apple seed, the Venus, the golden ratio of generation which is really cool when you think about it. So the difference mm-hmm. between, because you know that Danny Carey uh, at least read Illuminatus trilogy and that definitely in, uh, uh, inspired them uh, in, uh, I, I don't know if he read it before then, but I think that he actually read Who's that. Danny Carey? The drummer of Tool. Oh yeah. I, I, I've only listened to Tool like once or twice. <laughs> But you know, obviously, I'm talking about like just like in the tarot, if you have one story, it can mean one thing. Mm-hmm. But if you change yeah. the order of the cards, it's a different reality. Yeah. So that's basically yeah. a different archetypal ordering, which changes the computer program to a positive outcome, aka Tikkun Alam. Does that make sense? Uh, I think it does make sense. Yes. 
It's a blue rose case, basically. It's totally, life is a blue rose case. Life I mean, that's the secret. Case. Life is a blue rose case. Uh, if your life is not a blue rose case, you're doing it wrong. I agree. I concur. <laughs> I'm, wearing my, uh, I'm standing upright, risen, and I am blue uh, with my, my, my shirt here. I'm wearing a blue, uh, Jupiter, I'm wearing the two falls. I'm wearing Jupiter on a Sunday. Warnock uh, talks about planetary charity, and I think that's one thing that you're talking about, trying to remediate the, um, the, the planets that have kind of issues in the chart. Mm-hmm. It's called, yeah. He calls it planetary, planetary charity, which is like doing a, making a deal with Jupiter. Like, I will do something Jupiterian and do it a Jupiterian number of times, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, gregariously give $142 and do it like four times or something like that. Right, right. What yeah, I mean, I so I've looked at, yeah, that, that uh, like in my chart, Venus and Mars are both in kind of crappy spots and they're square. So. Oh, geez. Yeah. I, yeah. I problems there. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've done a lot of Venus work, like Venus talismans and Venus sort of magic. And, you know, I've got like Hathor on my altar and all that sort of stuff. And so I know that probably like the next big hurdle that I've got coming up is turning over and doing Mars work. That, uh, I can see probably being the hardest for you. Just it is going to, I already know that it's going to be the hardest for me. And I've, I've, so I've been sort of planning stuff out. I've done some Mars evocations over the last couple of years that have not, that, that it, you know, one of them was pretty good, but there's a lot of work left to do there. Um, are you, you know. a day, are you a day chart or a night chart? What do you mean? Are you born um, between mid, uh, the hours of 6 PM and 6 AM or between 6 AM and 6 PM? Uh, day because, day. because as you know, sun is in the seventh house right next to Mercury. Yeah, I mean, I'm forgive, a Scorpio. Me, forgive me for not like. <laughs> no, that's no, cool. It's cool. Italian. If I had a thing I could look at, then I it wouldn't. I wouldn't need to remember. Um, yeah. So you are you are a day chart. So Mars is also your the worst malefic for you. Day charts have an easier time with Saturn for the malefic, and night charts have a hard time with Saturn. But an easier mm. for Mars day charts the opposite. Day charts have a hard time with Mars. So you have it really. It's your ascendant, right? Because uh, you're Aries. Uh yeah. So. There's that's like a huge thing in your life. Yeah, I guess it's time to go to war. <laughs> um, do you know that your arteries are like Aries and your veins are like Venus? That's why it's a recessive and a aggressive. Huh, I didn't know that. Pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. Next question, because we have a few more. We're uh, okay. What are we on? Oh, have we, we done number four yet? This is number four. Yes. He's happy about four, folks. Someone pay attention to that. He's, he doesn't want to get to five, which is Mars. He wants to... All right. We already, did we already do five? We did five. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. hypothetically, there's a fifth question. But... Oh, uh, uh, yeah. This, this, okay, so we're on the fourth of the four, and I will ask... Oh, the fourth question was the David Lynch in order, but the fourth oh. question. What's your strongest impression of a synchronicity? Oof. Yeah, what's the what's the granddaddy of them? Because we all have a couple, but what's a what's a granddaddy of them? What's a really big one? Maybe it's the first time you figured out it was a synchronicity, or one that's profoundly meaningful to you. Um, I would say that the synchronicity that is probably the most profoundly meaningful to me, I'm not going to talk about on the air because it has to do with private lives of people who, you know, so. So that's not going One to come out. Found and shareable. Okay. You know what? Let's go back to uh, Jason Miller. 
This oh, is the oh, most- oh my god! You just—I'm sorry. Let me just say this. I, you, you mentioned Hathor. Yes, just a moment. Yeah, yeah. You. Oh made- shit! I have a Hathor synchronicity. This is fucking cr- part. It's my show. Okay. <laughs> well, well, just- but let me tell you the Hathor synchronicity. This is a super meaningful one. Yeah, but do you get down with Hecate? Uh, uh I haven't done very much Hecate stuff yet. Miller was I, the but, one who introduced me to a way of giving her honey. That's all I, that's why. Uh, I so okay, well, hold on. I'm going to do the Hathor thing, synchronicity, because this is a yes. super meaningful one. I totally forget. Thank you for reminding me of this. I should have thought of this before. So, so I had, uh, I had Hathor experiences fairly early on after I started doing ceremonial magic, like visions and, and, you know, so I started like, why don't you just attention. tell the audience just for a second who Hathor is, please, just for the sake of him, why it's All right, Hathor is a, an Egyptian goddess um, who ended up being associated with Isis later on, but she's sort of like a love goddess and a moon goddess and just There's like... Hathor Isis, yeah. Yeah, just a very happy, pleasant goddess. Um, a lot of times associated with the, with the cow. Uh, you'll find Hathor in temples at like the tops of... Uh, pillars and stuff but a, a pleasant loving very venusian goddess right you, you'd uh, almost expect her to be with the the moon almost but uh hathor is like heifer i just noticed but please continue i was just thinking yeah aspect with the, the 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 horns and the moon oh yeah yeah so so anyhow i had like all of these hathor experiences fairly early on and so i have i've had hathor on my altar for you know over a decade at least, well over a decade, I think, um, and has been sort of a central figure in in my practice. So um, when I started working on the podcast, My Alchemical Bromance, I did it with, you know, my my friend Matt Anthony. And I like that show. Thanks. Thanks. I like it too. Uh, but okay. we were out drinking one day, drinking beer, talking about the podcast. I don't know what we were doing. And he rolled up like his sleeve or something, and he has – a half sleeve of Hathor tattooed on his arm. And I was like, I was like, what is that? Why do you have Hathor on your arm? And it turns out that he too, we had never discussed this before. Oh yeah, that's how it goes. Had 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 like an experience of being like chosen by Hathor. Whoa. So how's that for weird synchronicity? That's like both of us completely unknown to each other. Had had these like intense Hathor based experiences and then we ended up working together on this important project, uh, being very close friends, you know, all, all, you know, being like so closely bound together before ever discovering that tie. It sounds like you guys were definitely like if, if people believe in God forms and stuff like that, it seems like a, one of the archetypes of Hathor was like choosing you guys or like guiding you together or something. Yeah. Weird, Maybe. huh? No, that's yeah, that's what it sounds like. That's an intense, weird synchronicity. Oh yeah, and you, I, everyone knows about who knows about synchronicity knows that it's always there's. It's just like that idea. Like I can't really describe the idea. Synchronicity is a felt thing. It's a it's a spiritual thing. So it has that kind of unspeakable quality, but mm-hmm. it's always mm-hmm. more meaningful to the people that it happens to. But we all yeah. that we know that feeling of meaning. You know. Yeah. Well, it's like Nathan Lee once said, right? There's no such thing as coincidence. Oh yeah, that guy. I, I <laughs> somewhere, he's kind of legendary. Yeah, but mostly he's just kind of sexy. I'm gonna just tell you, damn that guy. He's so sexy. <laughs> okay, people, moving forward. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you okay. for quoting. Thank you for quoting the uh, the the quotable quote. Uh, I'm gonna just jump to another question. Okay. Are we good with the Hathor? Can we jump to a question? 
Oh yeah, totally, totally. I, I, I think it's a great story. I think it's time, totally time to jump to another question. Um, is this number six? Yeah, I'm actually going to do number six, but this is the fifth question asked. Wait, um, which one did we miss? Did we miss three? Well, you don't know about it yet. Uh, well, okay, okay. okay. Well, All right, we'll number six. What in this world gives you the most peace? In this veil the of most tears, what gives peace. you the most peace? That's a really good question. I, I'm, I'm telling you, people have been waiting for me to do a podcast. I mean, I'm still learning the ropes here. but You yeah. know, I got to say, there are certain moments, probably mostly moments in nature. Here, this is it. The crack of dawn in the high desert when it's so cold, you got to put on like your down vest and you go outside and you have like a cup of coffee at your campsite and the sun is just coming up and the birds are singing and like that bitter cold of night is like transforming into the heat of the day and everything is just crisp and the sky is like bluer than anything you've ever seen. And the, it, that's the most peaceful thing in creation. That gets a clap. That gets a clap. <laughs> I appreciate that sentiment because I too find divinity in that. Yeah. I, the, there's a thing that happens out in the desert that is, that is unlike any other place. Can't say I've been to a desert. I got to say that you got, you got me with the general sensation, but I, I, could, I yeah. could do better with the desert. Well, uh, come on out here. We'll go camping. I, I'm so on board for that. And plus, like, <laughs> we need a couple of guys in case there's any desert grizzly bears. No, no grizzly bears in the desert, but there's scorpions, rattlesnakes. Dude, we're, uh, we're freaking magicians. I'm telling you, we're going to find a grizzly bear that's a bimorphid with a, bimorphid with a scorpion. We're going to find yeah. a scorpio, scorpio bear, a Leo scorpio scorp bear. Uh, and that sounds like something out of uh, Gravity Falls. Yes, it does. It absolutely. <laughs> now that I think about it, my, uh, so you know how um, Virgo and Leo are the Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and Virgo has her dainty legs crossed, while Scorpio is like letting his r rigid member rock it out. So then, in the between of those, you have Libra. But I'm just noticing like how combining the Leo with the Scorpio, you got the fire water thing going on there. It just seems like a perfectly epic historical mythological creature that should exist absolutely a bearpian no bearpian doesn't sound right scorpo bear scorpa bear i'm going with scorpa bear <laughs> i like scorpa bear even though bear's not a lion i don't know how the hell i just crossed over to leo there but we both yeah i don't know we both did well you know um i was just thinking in, in gravity falls they've got the multi-bear multi-bear <laughs> Multi-bear. <laughs> queen. Yeah. Doing the ABBA thing. That's uh, mm -hmm. the multi-bear likes ABBA. I can't believe him. I believe, I believe they call it Dancing Girl or what's it, what's, what, what, what do they call it in Gravity Falls? I don't remember. Dipper's, Dipper's like singing in the mirror. Yeah. Because that was the one with the man, <laughs> man the man, manators. The manator. Yeah. They have like, and they, they like, it's like, this is your elder. No, that's our sacrifice. <laughs> remember they have the old guy come out? Yeah. So Gravity that. Falls, like, if you, uh, so the um, Gravity Falls is supposed to take place in Oregon. Yes. 
And on the map, when they show it, they, they show Gravity Falls as just sort of being like up in Northeast Oregon. Yes. Um, but the town itself, it always makes me think of Klamath Falls, which is an actual city in Oregon, which oh. is, there's not a forest near Klamath Falls. And there's oh. not even really a whole lot of forest up where they show Gravity Falls existing in Oregon. Like that's kind of high deserty area. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it's, that like uh, Utah kind of? Mm, yeah 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 kind of i guess not as not as stark well i mean utah itself like it, there's a lot of variation it's not a tiny place like northern right. utah is all foresty and green and beautiful and like california southern utah, uh, i'm saying california has different temperatures oh right 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 oh yeah totally totally so so oregon is has a lot of variation in it right um and our high desert it's not as like the desert in Utah, when you get into the like the desert in Utah, you get a you get a much different experience than in than in Oregon. But it's still yeah, it's totally high desert style. I I have I have only traveled uh so for the first time in my life I, I made it to the West Coast last summer when I went out and met Gordon White at um, Chaotic Good. Cool. Was, yeah, it was super cool. I actually was one of the eight people who had the golden ticket and ate with him and I just ended up smoking a lot of pot and burritos <laughs> and it was great. It was really nice. It was a good time. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the event in the desert. Let me let me throw this one. I've told you the synchronicity before about. Um, you know how Gordon on Rune Soup has the uh, Giordano Bruno Giordano Giordano, Giordano Bruno statue. Yes, I don't know what's happening there. Something that's like, a hard word. Giordano. You got to practice. Giordano it. Bruno. No, I mean now I can Giordano. say it. Giordano. Giordano. Actually, do it. Yeah, I, there you go. Pretend like you're talking about some Italian dish. Giordano. It's it's like Giordano. A, Giordano con Parmesan. We just like alienated our entire Italian listening base, which was all of like three people. So sorry, Italian listening base. Or they just grew it. They're like, yeah, they're giving us props. I'm like, yeah, we like your language, but we also. Well, well, the French listening base has already listened to us massacre at least a dozen French words. So I'm, 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 but I'm okay with that because, you know, (laughs) Italian. Speaking of Italian, that was okay. uh, let me let me finish this thought. Um, Fritalian was a silly uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Um, do you remember this? Uh, the ad campaign that they tried to do. Uh, Fritalian. No, we don't really have Dunkin' Donuts out here. So that's that's just as well because um, it is a very New England thing. In Harpoon Brewery in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, they released a limited edition stout made with Dunkin' Donuts. In so it's they have a Dunkin' Donuts beer now. Oh God! You know Rogue Brewery out here released a. Um a beer made with uh that was inspired or something by voodoo donuts which is a famous donut oh, shop in cool. um, and i never right tried back. it, it I, got, was, I, gotta, I gotta go make sure the gophers aren't eating the rainbow i'll be right back all right that's cool that's cool gophers and rainbows I think the gophers are eating the rainbow. Nope. Nope. How's the rainbow? Is the rainbow okay? The, huh? Is the rainbow cool? I'm gonna say those darn varmints—they were chewing on one end. They almost—they almost got away with the, the the beam of yellow. They were just tearing yellow right out. So uh, I play Pokemon Go. <laughs> oh God. Okay. <laughs> And after the latest update, like when this, when the, when the weather changes from like sunny to rainy or rainy to sunny or whatever outside, yeah, uh, there's a rainbow in the distance. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice. 
you, you've ever seen the uh, the so I'll talk about anything here from like like conspiracies to whatever. I'm always nuanced about it. I'm not saying I uh-huh. think about this. Oh yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, well, okay. we have. What? Okay, kinda. kinda hey, kinda. wait. I have a question. Oh, right, I have a question for you. Is the last question going to be about the Knights Templar? No, but I can I can ask about that. Okay, I don't really have anything to say about the Knights Templar. <laughs> oh, were you picking up on something like? No, I was just sort of. Well, I mean, you know, next weekend, next Saturday is the anniversary of uh, the day in in uh, what was 10, it? 13. 12, Ten thirteen. No, twelve thirteen. Oh, ten thirteen is the anniversary of the day that happened in like twelve thirteen or twelve fourteen when the Knights Templar were all arrested in France. Because it's also Chris Carter's birthday, who made the X Files, and he has his production company called Ten Thirteen, where he goes, "I made this," but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, it's the it's a Knights Templar reference for sure. Too. Yeah. Um. But uh, so I was just gonna. Say, it's also Alistair Crowley's birthday. Ten twelve is his birthday. Ten twelve. Oh, that's right. I knew that because it, he was born exactly one hundred years and one month before me. Oh, I see. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Ten fact, twelve. Um, right. I did my headless right. Uh, Ninety nine. Uh, years to the day that he did his nice yeah um and i was thank you for because this is actually something i was going to mention earlier um you guys are familiar with how the sun is in its house of the fall in libra and uh-huh. how when the world gets to libra we call it entering the fall this is the time yeah. of year called the fall i had never tied those two things together that's why i'm here my friend well um, good job I don't know that much, but the stuff I do know kind of, it's like uh, potpourri, bunny tails, and uh, orgasmo rainbow giggles. But anyways, um, <laughs> that's my new breakfast cereal, orgasmo rainbow giggles. Uh, <laughs> and so I was going to ask you about the rainbow um, and the degree, the 42 degree, and how some people say that that's proof of the firmament that this alleged world, for some conceptions of it, think that is uh is proof of could you speak to why a rainbow is not proof of flat earth uh hold on a second let's rewind a little bit what's 42 degree they say that the rainbow itself is at a 42 degree angle or something like that and that's the arc of it it's like 42 degrees i don't know i'm just telling you what they say (laughs) uh you're the physics guy hold on there's a there's an idea that the rainbow is proof of a flat Earth. Oh sure, yeah, and like when you look. Why it wouldn't up, it be proof of a round Earth? Go ahead, think, speak this through. I mean, I don't know. I honestly, I have looked into flat Earth theories and never made it very far without just descending into giggles and laughter because so much of it is yeah. based on people who have no concept of how of how physical reality works and i mean we have math right i mean one of the most incredible things about about reality is the way the math all locks together agreed and if you start to look at the math and you actually like get into it and try to like picture the stuff in your head and work with the equations and see all, how all of the stuff works you start to see that that what physicists are doing what what science is actually doing is assembling this bizarre and amazing jigsaw puzzle. And, and when you start to see how it works and things start to click into place, there could be that you, you, you see a picture. The geometry of the architect. 
You see the geometry of the architects. You definitely do. Um, and so it makes me sad. Like the flat earth stuff makes me very sad. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, intellectual potential that is lost there. Like if those people with, with their creative problem finding skills spent more time on the fundamentals and the basics and focused their efforts on actual problems that we're actually running into with, with science and physics, it would be a better place. I hear you. I hear you. You know me, um, Eric, honestly, I, I want truth no matter what. Yeah. I'm me obsessed. too. And so I'm, I'm going to come at this from a slightly different angle. And I, I'm, this is what makes me sad. When people look at a thing on a screen and can't tell the difference between a mm -hmm. photograph and a computer-generated image, mind you, it's a, oh, good, yeah. it's a good point. We it's, it's a good point that people say that we're all, this is all a digital interface, but mm -hmm. I can tell the difference between a digital representation of a photograph and a digital representation of a computer-generated image. There's obviously a thing going on there. Oh, um, I know that I can't. Tell the difference between a photo and a CGI? Yeah, I mean, the CGI is good enough now that I totally can't always tell the difference. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's, that, that, like, like, and, like, I'm totally, a, I'm a pretty neutral guy. I mean, Libra, right on, you know, pretty mm -hmm. balanced. Um, except when I'm not, like a vault. But the idea is that when you look at, um, when you look at, uh, you know, so-called um, pictures of space, you know, uh, and uh, sorry, my point was fake news. Like, it's like if CGI is that good and all the news is fake and real, like, <laughs> like vaults, what are we going to do? Like the, the meta mind is going to go psychotic. There's no more. Oh, sure. There's no foundation, you know, there's no cornerstone for there. Like when you get into that ethereal whoop whoop. But my point is, is that I've never really seen in my, my, my skadoodly eyes here. I've never seen mm -hmm. um, a picture of space. I've only seen CGI and, uh, that interview with that one NASA intern, not even an intern, the guy who does the actual um, globes for NASA, he says that they're all CGIs, but they have to be. And I think a yeah, lot of people get they do. about that. Like, I think well, that, means that it's a flat earth just because we can't take pictures of space. And I think that satellite picture. Yeah. Go you ahead. know, one of the things that people should probably spend more time doing is looking up. And another thing that people should spend some time doing is using telescopes. Sorry, even you cut out there. Oh, um, looking up what? Looking up. Oh, up. just looking. No, you didn't cut out. I thought you were saying look. Okay, sorry, that was me. Just look, look up. up. Okay, got it. Um, and telescopes. Uh, and and ob and observe. Right. Yes. Observation is the key to science. Now. Now. Uh, a hardcore conspiracy theorist is probably going to think that their te telescope is in on the conspiracy. <laughs> so make your <laughs> own, make your own. Look at what, look at what Galileo and Kepler. Herschel, and the guy who discovered Uranus. Sure, sure, sure. But, but he even he was awesome. using a fairly advanced telescope that could have been in on the conspiracy, right? Uh, it's, yeah. I guess some people could say that. Now, if you're, if you're so set on seeing a picture of space, then look up, get a telescope, look up. It doesn't even take a very powerful telescope before you can see the rings of Saturn. It doesn't you. take a, a, a very powerful telescope before you can observe orbits happening. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely like luminary bodies up there for sure. Absolutely. I, now, I, I can see that. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, when you're talking about like how we have put together our model of the universe and our model of the solar system and stuff, yeah, um, realize that it is fucking complicated. It is so complicated. Um, uh, one of one of my science heroes is uh, Johannes Kepler. Now, yeah. Johannes Kepler, uh, it's it's so difficult to explain to somebody who hasn't looked into his work the mental gymnastics and the mental power that he had to have in order to come up with how his equation with his with Kepler's laws of planetary motion are those calculus um, what what branch no that? no that's pre-calculus it's just pre geometry okay calculus wasn't until newton over 100 years like 100 years after kepler let's get into talking about that after you get after you talk okay. about kepler but i i just got to say like there is so much out there uh, there is so your your power of observation as a as a human being on the ground is humongous. You can Five see senses, a trivium, you can a see yeah. a fascinating amount of space just from where you are. Yeah. So, you know, you say that you've never seen a picture of space. I say go out where it's super dark, spend some time looking up, get a telescope, look out there, see what you can for yourself. You can look up and see satellites. With the telescope. What I find interesting on that note, and I'm not, we're not disagreeing. I'm, I'm saying from a different angle, I find it interesting that I haven't seen, if there's so many satellites out there, right, in our orbit, like there's a shockingly nil amount of photos of other satellites in the picture frame of other Do satellites. Do you realize how gigantic things get out there? Do you understand how... Remember, you're not, remember, this isn't, I'm just, uh, remember this. No, I, I'm just, the, yeah, that is, that is shocking. That is shocking. But um, one of the things to realize is how big it gets, right? So you're looking at, uh, um, as surface area expands, it expands at a cube, at a cubic rate, right? Exponentially, you're saying. Almost, mm -hmm. ex not, not quite exponential, but. No, no, more than exponential. Sure, that's what a three on the end would be a cube. Yes, right. so, so you're looking at a humongous amount of surface area, which means that like down here on Earth, <coughs> there, there, are fewer, um, there are fewer satellites in Earth than there are cars in Massachusetts. Is that real? Absolutely. I didn't know that. I don't, I don't know about that. Where do you get that it's, number from? I'm just making it up because oh. I know how much stuff we've been able to send up there and I know how many people are in Massachusetts. So if you, and I know how tiny Massachusetts is, right? Definitely not as big as people think it is, but it's bigger when you're in here, surprisingly. Yeah, but there are also plenty of places in Massachusetts where you can be in a car and can't see another car. Oh yeah, especially out west, yeah, for sure. So what does that mean? Do the other cars not exist? I'm just wondering where we're going with the, with, with the point here. I'm just talking about an issue of scale. Satellites tend to be smaller than cars. And uh, you're looking at a humongous amount of space where there's not as much, uh, there's not as much reflected light. There's not as much reflected, refracted light to deal with. Um, you're looking at huge, huge, vast amounts of space. So yes, it's going to be very rare that you're going to have two things in the same picture in orbit around Earth just because of the amount of space that you're dealing with. Space is vast and incredibly empty. No, uh, it's also one of the problems that we had um, observing stars for so long, right? Like one of the reasons that we were unable to conceive of stars as being in different uh, distances from the Earth is because the distances are so incredibly vast 
that it's almost impossible to measure parallax, especially with um, early telescopes. We couldn't measure parallax in stars. Is a parallax? What? No. Is a parallax? Is that like some kind of like parallax? Is when you uh, the best way to look at, to observe parallax is like if you're in the train and you're going along, things in the front appear to be moving at different speeds as things in the back. Right. That's parallax. And okay. So but when two things are both super, 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 super far away, um, our speed through the through the universe, even though it's fast, is not fast enough to cause enough parallax to measure over a short period of time. You need a very long amount of time. For me, like I'm able to see um, your your the way that you present things at the same time as I'm able to see a person who's saying, "I haven't seen any of this. I haven't seen." I'm able to weigh both. That's cool. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Study the math. Get into the math. Right. Because, like, the, the whole point about, like, we want to avoid being dogmatic about anything, right? Like, would, would, would someone who is, like, a hardcore math person fall into that trap? Or would they all at the same time, you know, I'm going to ask two questions about that. Could that happen? One. Second, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Second, okay, good. Then we don't need to go any further on that. But the second point would be, is let's talk about the spiritual. Like we're going to get into uh, Newton, as we mentioned. Let's talk about the spirituality and like let you know of numbers. Let's talk about the the myth. Oh, you know what I mean? I love that. Numbers. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, because number number is fascinating, right? Like uh, talking about the map not being the terrain. Like number yes. is weird because it is such a symbol. Um. Yeah, there's a there's a whole school of philosophy dealing with that. I'm not. Uh, there's a level of ab- abstraction there that if I start to talk about it, I'm going to sound like an idiot because I don't know. I don't really understand it super well. Well, I but, think it's worthy of trying at least. Yeah, there's a yeah. I mean, there's a there's a philosophy of number, and there's interesting stuff going on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, number is a language for describing the universe around us. And it is not it is not the universe around us though. It is just a symbol. I feel like I, it was mentioned by um the gentleman who was who does who does the twenty one faces of God. I believe he mentions about numbers as well and he talks about yeah. where do they exist? They exist before they exist and mm-hmm. like that. can you speak to that aspect of it? Um I'm not sure. Uh you know, I I, I think I talked about it a little bit when we talked about like how do you even count before like what you know, the number one has no meaning until you have two things, or you know, there's no sense in counting before you have things to count. Uh, even like the act of counting requires um, discernment and uh, differentiation and discrimination between between like an is and an is not. Like you don't have a number two until you can say like there is a difference between a universe and my coffee mug, right? You know, or is like, there? <laughs> maybe not um yeah so like in in some sense that sort of division and that sort of like separation of things is entirely a um a side effect of consciousness and the power of observation tool wrote uh lateralis the song uh under the working title of 987 because of the sacredness of number of because of the way that it reveals the holy truth because of the way that um it even itself nine eight seven you take eight and seven you get 15 that's a six so nine eight seven is a nine and a six which is an infinite rotation in a way Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah but uh then it's a spiral itself and you can either spiral up or 
well, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, mysticism so, and number in the occult in Newton. Yeah, Newton. Before, um, Eric, said, before, uh, before we get into that, um, I'm going to throw this. This um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this synchronicity just to get this thought in there about um, I mentioned Giordano Bruno before, and then we kind of spiraled off on a tangent, which mm-hmm. is a math term, um, which is radical, but up up, but which anyway. is also a math term. Mathematical. Well, it, that's, yeah, that, that was my turn to make it. Okay. So, so oh God, we're geeking out. Oh my God, it's a good trip. Okay. Okay. Guys, 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 get it together now. Come on, focus. All right. So Giordano Bruno, Gordon uses a statue for his thing. I read a. I read one of the first articles I ever read by Gordon White was if I, it was the first one. It was about Herschel discovering Uranus using a um a telescope that he made. He's a musician. I go up uh-huh. to Gordon in California. After this whole series of things, I end up in front of a statue. It looks very much like the Giordano one, but it's a statue of Herschel. Oh, cool. Wicked weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like, unreal. Like, he made that article. I go out there to see him to California. I end up going through the desert. So I have been to desert, um, mm-hmm. but not in the morning. It was in the middle of the freaking day at noon. No oh, yeah. Morning. And that's a different kind of desert down there, too. Uh, that's not... That doesn't count as high desert. That's... that's um, that's a much lower elevation desert. Okay, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. It's still hot as heck, though, dude. Like, very, very Yeah, hot. well, the high desert isn't always hot. That's one of the things about it. Yeah, like, it's the high desert, cool. snow and ice, and it freezes over in the winter. Yeah, I have a film called Red Desert. Just throwing that yeah. It's a good film. It's about um, Italians. But the point is, is that was a crazy sink, and now he can circle to Newton in numbers. And yeah. Numbers. Well, Newton, you know, his, he said, uh, number is the language of God. Okay. Number is the language with which God reveals the universe was he a freemason i don't think so um i i uh, i got a book from a french mason i think i still have it uh that argued that he was but there's no real evidence there's like and it, say that right i think a lot of conspiracy-minded people think that like everyone who's smart was a mason basically yeah which totally is not the case you know so i mean we have evidence that like uh, we know that christopher wren was a freemason Yes, that's true. And he was a very important scientist around that time. Um, we have evidence that like Elias Ashmole was a Freemason. We have evidence, and he was one of the founding members of the Royal Society. A number of yeah. founding members of the Royal Society were Freemasons. Yes. I don't think Newton was. In fact, from everything I've read about Newton, he sounds like kind of a dick. Oh, I probably yeah. would have blackballed him. Do you think that there's a, an example why he's a, a, a male phallus that you could explain to us? Uh, why is such an asshole? Well, yeah, I mean, you he, could. Why is he, why is he a cunty McCunderson? Why? <laughs> uh, I think probably two really good examples are the way he treated Robert Hooke and the way he treated uh, uh, Leibniz. Like those are both pretty good examples of how much of a dick microscope, right? Was. What's Sorry, that? I, think I just I think we got crossed over there. Could you repeat what you said? Uh, Robert Hooke and Leibniz. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, what what happened with I that? Because Hooke discovered the microscope, right? Uh, was Hooke the microscope? I think so. I don't know. Honestly, my brain is getting a little fried. We've been talking for so yeah, long; it's hard for me to remember all of the details. We're getting close, but uh, we still but, um, have a little bit to go. Like Robert yeah. Frost was. So but I'd say, um, like Newton. Newton's interesting to look into just because he had these great concepts and. Um, you know, so much of uh, modern physics is sort of sort of rests upon him as as its cornerstone, but at the same time, he was one hell of an occultist, like way into 
um, like the construction of King Solomon's temple as some sort of weird spiritual palace, which is probably also why people think he's a Freemason. And, um, and alchemy. He loved alchemy and wrote probably millions of words on alchemy. Yeah, he did. And he also, um, even like gravity. So gravity is a fascinating concept, which I am not uh, qualified to speak on much. But I do know that one of the things that Newton was thinking is he was like, oh, this is something that will not go over well with a scientific community because gravity is action at a distance, which he thought was an occult action. Oh, interesting. Makes me think of Blavatsky for some reason. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in Newton. I'm not a Newton expert, so. But you did say that he was a dick and I don't think you explained what he did to Newton, uh, to, to Leibniz or Hook. Well, Leibniz, there was the, um, the, uh, controversy over who first invented calculus. Yeah. And, and Newton was pretty cruel about all of that stuff. Um, Hook, so Hook was the president of the Royal Society before Newton. Okay. And supposedly the story is when Newton came in, he despised Hook so much that he had every portrait of Hook that had been created oh, yeah. destroyed. So we don't actually have a picture of Hook anymore because Newton got rid of Maul because he hated the guy. You know, I heard that on a documentary about him. Yeah. I heard that. So, you know, yeah. If that's not being a dick, then I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a, you know, I mean, this comes back to just our lived experience. When someone's an asshole to you, it speaks volumes about their character. Yeah. It's, but you know, do you, you have to go be an asshole back? <laughs> oh, I, I, that's a good question, right? Like, do you have to be? I, I would say no. Would I would be, say no. Don't do it. Correct. Be the correct. correct. Why soil yourself? Right. That's what we talk about when I'm not going to go down to that level, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, um, like Nathan Lee once said, turn the other cheek. Oh, wait, that was Jesus. You know what's funny is that I have died before, and in college, some some group of people called me Jesus because of that story. Yeah. Someone still does to this day. <laughs> yeah, no, so, don't, don't drink yourself to death is the moral of that story, and then have the tool T-shirt. That's the only white tool T-shirt he snipped off of your dead body before you get resuscitated, because apparently... Okay writing a book about tool okay okay hold on let me write that down no. <laughs> um, so i'm starting to run out of wind and i know you still have one more question right there's one we last do, question that you have so we should probably ask that so that i can well we can go, do um, that yeah i'm gonna take a nap sure that we're on time here of course um do you even know how long we've been recording for? Because Zoom is not polite to tell me. It, it's not it has been almost, it's been almost four hours. All right. I can pad it to make it get up to 420 with some like intros and whatnots. I figured yeah. out that the, every show that I do, it's going to be as close to that as I can get. And whatever it takes to make it 420, I'll just throw that in there. But it's, it's a four hour. Okay. So Oof, yeah, it's exhausting. You know what though? It's worth it, and it's kind of the reason we do it is because it's, that's part of it. It's it's supposed to be, you know, it's, yeah. It's it's real talk. So, anywho, this is the sixth question, and um, we've asked you. Okay, I'm really excited about this. I think you're gonna like it actually. Now I just realized that this is the first question we're asking last, and I'm just gonna um, up to you know what do you call that? Uh, recap. We've asked you what we absolutely need to read, what your strongest sync impression was, what your favorite Lynch was, what the strangest concept was, and what gives you the most peace. So now the very first mm. question I wrote down for you in the last one we'll be asking for the day. What's the best okay. 
what's the best what's the best live music you have experienced all right well remember i told that bela flex story obviously that where comes i sat to mind. right right in front of him that uh that is the second best live Ooh, music. juicy uh, the first best is uh, so I'm not I'm not really one for like big concerts and crowded concerts. Where am and stuff. I? That's not I'm really a my very peaceful dick. guy, and sometimes that's way too overwhelming. But last year, or maybe two years ago, PJ Harvey was in Portland, and I've been a PJ Harvey fan since high school. So you know, I've, I I really enjoy her work. And some friends of mine uh, got me a ticket, and we went and saw PJ Harvey. And they insisted that we get there early and we go all the way up to the front. So we were like right at the right at the whatever you call that thing the fence the fence that keeps the crowd away the barricade and we were right there for the whole show and it was incredible pj harvey is super intense on stage she like stares out into the audience and makes like like a netflix violating eye contact with everybody in the front (laughs) row so it was it was just intense like i i was i was uh blown away um so that was probably the first best although a close second a close a close tie perhaps so this these would be my top three music experiences first was uh pj harvey second bela fleck third um i went to see Deerhoof with my little wow. brother and he had never been very much of a Deerhoof fan but we'd never really gone to see like a live show before together yeah so i took him to see Deerhoof, and um I mean, Deerhoof is always incredible. I love seeing them in concert. I only but, know uh, them because I have a single of theirs, Matchbook Seeks Maniac or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're one of my favorite bands. And um, but you... going to see them with my little brother, like that experience of like going to the concert together, like me introducing him to some music, because my little brother is an incredible musician. So How old is like, he? We just, he's, uh, he's turning 40 this year. Oh, okay. Right yeah. on. So, but we just had this great time going to a concert together. Um, and, you know, you know, even though it probably wasn't like the music wasn't the most, the music experience itself wasn't the most incredible, but sharing it with him was amazing. And I loved it. I so, understand that. Yeah. So that's, that's there really we go. Cool. There you go. Top three. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. This rough reminds me of Chibo Motto. Yes. I would say that they do have some similarities. Um, Although Deerhoof is far more experimental and weird. Yeah, um, Chibo Motto yeah. is a poppy band. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, brother. Getting close to there. But yeah, uh, don't I, worry. I'm, I'm still at the helm here. Even though my, uh, my uh, what, what is the word for you? Um, what, what's the second the skipper, I guess? The, the, what's my second in command? What do you call that guy on the ship? Uh, he's, got a, he's got a name. First mate? First mate. Yeah, my first. Well, my first mate's barking at me over across the waves here, but I will. Uh, I will commandeer <laughs> this vessel from myself and direct it directly. Um, we've asked all the questions. Mm-hmm. We've uh, gotten and covered a lot of good stuff today. I think yeah. this has been a wonderful episode. I think people are going to really enjoy listening to what you've shared, especially um about some of those really poignant um experiences, like how you explained the desert. I really like how you expressed that moment of peace thanks guess, thanks um, how we're gonna wrap up mm-hmm. welcome sir how we're gonna wrap up is uh tell us about what you are working on recently where we can uh-huh. find you and um tell us what your favorite color is so go uh all right i'll answer those in reverse 
I'll answer those in a random order. You My favorite do. color, I, I'm, I'm very fond of both blue and green. Um, uh, but, you know, purple is pretty fucking cool, too. So the cooler spectrum of the colors, then. Sure. Yes, yes. And also purple, you know, is a royal color. It is a royal. It's one of my favorite colors, too. Uh, golden. Yeah. So lately, um, I've been working a lot on, um, you know, planetary magic. Oh, yeah, nice purple. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've been doing a lot of writing about that. I've been, I mean, you know, you can see all the stuff I'm working on, uh, mostly on my website, arnamancy.com. Um, and the, my Patreon account, which is attached to it. Uh, and also you can listen to my podcast, myalchemicalbromance.com. And your patron only podcast. Oh yeah. Which is also on the, the Arnamancy Patreon. And we can reach you on Twitter if we want to say hi or what's up, or maybe uh, mm-hmm. order some lessons or join the Kabbalah club. And that's going to be at Arnamancy, A-R-N-E-M-A-N-C-Y. Yep. That's it. That's totally me. I, I, I actually, well, the first time I saw that, I was like, what the hell is an arnamancy? And I thought it was I thought it was like a cross between like animated magical armor, like bed knobs and broomsticks, and like some arcane like, you know, sword in the stone magic. And I, I just love it. It's just arnamancy. <laughs> well, it's really. so a cross between my last name with you know with with Bancy. Yes. Arneson yeah. and uh Geomancy or any Mancy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, any, yeah. To basically uh to really wrap things up, um yeah, uh, I just I want to say thank you so much for doing this. I've I've really enjoyed uh, every time that I've been on your show. And yeah, I wanted to return, uh, and I'm very pleased that I've been able to offer you a platform in this mm-hmm. exchange because I really at Libra Sun, but I believe in balance. I believe in fairness. Yeah, and, this has been a great. It's been fun to be uh, to be interviewed by you. For a well, change, <laughs> can only happen between equals. It is said in uh, the Illuminatus trilogy. Mm-hmm. So I really, uh, I think that that's why there's a place for this Six of Swords, and why you are a very matching, very good guest for it. So we'll oh, have you back nice. again if you'll if you'll be back on sometime down the road. Oh yeah, I'm gonna need some recovery time. This has been a lot of uh, a lot of talking. I don't know if I have four more hours left in me. <laughs> I I honestly, frankly, uh, that's I'm aware of that going into this. I, it's it's built into the pasta, if if you will. Yeah, yeah. So uh, but, I think with that, Eric, uh, if you have any closing words or any uh, quotes that you want to give, we'll uh, we'll kick it on out after that. No, I just say you know thanks for having me, um, and that's about it. You know, it's been it's been a pleasure. I hope that you have a pleasant rest of your day. You too, and this is my brother went by yeah. so quickly yeah it did actually we, we, right. we did have to chase off a couple of gophers for meeting the rainbow the ground dogs and gophers for meeting the rainbow i think i can hear a gopher over here right now i gotta oh, go yeah. to you gotta go you gotta go watch out for those wrangly varmints man right, all right. well uh with that said erica why don't you say goodbye goodbye all right uh guys thank you so much um this has been the second episode of the six of sword podcast we have had a marvelous guest today eric arneson you will find him at um, Arnamancy on Twitter. You know where to go for his website, and all of that will be in the show notes. All right, Eric, thank you so much. Adios. As, uh, as we say in the industry, adios, mofos. Or uh, Actually, that's what the agenda says, but I'm going to say adios, mofos today too. All right, guys, thank you so much, and big thank you to Eric, and uh, thank you to all who inspire me. And with that said, have a wonderful wonder. All right. 
this is also where we say goodbye and before we do we do give credit to those who have helped out the show at a 50 to 200 dollar level uh, again uh anonymity for those under 50 and you can also again donate at paypal.com uh with the occult fan gmail or you can just head on over to occultfan.com and you'll be able to click the donate button and that'll take you to paypal as well so again i want to thank everyone for listening this is really cool that you gift me your time and energy in a reciprocal cycle of what i hope is giving to you as well so we'll keep it short and sweet this time uh this has been episode two of the six of swords podcast thank you so much for listening and the best and brightest blessings to you this 2019 and not only do i wish you the best and brightest wishes for this 2019 and that you'll dedicate yourselves to your highest principles and values and dreams possible but a super huge thank you to brother eric arneson for coming on and doing the show it was a real pleasure it was fun we had our traditional if you will caduceus conversations and again i really hope that you enjoyed this i look forward to bringing you guys more interesting shows full of all the stuff that you love again art spirituality healing uh and in better production values as well <laughs> i am paying attention to your needs for uh all your podcast city things so Thanks to Eric, and thank you all for your time, attention, and energy. And one last time, the best to you, the very best to you, this 2019.